That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Gonzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Gonzano's Bald Face Truth. Can we take a moment to appreciate the brilliance of what Shohei Otani did this week? Or his agent, or whoever's pulling the uh, pulling the levers behind the scenes with Team Shohei. He moves from the Angels to the Dodgers in the richest deal in the history of professional sports. And every other athlete that has challenged the richest deal threshold has done what? Ended up in a position where... Everybody resents him, hates him, calls him a sellout. Oh, Tani's getting $700 million. And Major League Baseball's rules allow the Dodgers to defer as much of that compensation as they want. He'll make about $2 million a year. He'll be the 17th highest paid player on his team. He'll earn less money than retired players like Manny Ramirez and Ken Griffey Jr. are earning. $2 million. No interest. Bobby Bonilla got 8% interest from the Mets. But Otani is basically getting a 10-year, $460 million deal from an accounting perspective. Because the Dodgers are going to defer the compensation... And as you see a variety of media outlets breaking it down, I, I, I'm left marveling at it. I'm left, like, I don't like the Dodgers. I don't think um, greed is necessarily a good thing. But I'm left going, you know, well done by Otani's agent and the Dodgers and well done to put together a deal that not only works for the Dodgers because he gets to defer the salary and the Dodgers can go out and try to build a winner around him, but uh, the Dodgers also get a player who's going to help them raise ticket prices and sell more merchandise. And Otani's leaving all this money on the table in part because he can afford it and in part because he gets the bigger picture. Now, you think about this. You know, he'll get $2 million annually over the next 10 years. Then he'll turn age 40, and at that point he'll get, $680 million in payments that start at the age of 40. And then when you look at that, you go, okay, that's a lot of money. But the but the, the thing that's lost in it is the idea that Otani's not going to be living off $2 million a year. Or I guess he could, but he doesn't have to. He's going to make almost $50 million a year in endorsements starting this year. He makes more money than Aaron Judge. He makes more money than Bryce Harper when it comes to endorsements. He makes... 10 times the money that Aaron Judge and Bryce Harper get. So that flexibility in the contract allows the Dodgers to go out and do what? They sign more players. They can help Shohei Otani win a championship. 
And then you got a guy who, who, by the way, is coming off Tommy John surgery in 2018, has an elbow surgery, another elbow surgery this last offseason. Then you have, an, uh, you know, you're basically looking at this guy going, he got the richest contract in sports history, not even close. And everybody's going, what a great guy. He just wants to win. You know, he's taking less money, deferring the salary. Nobody's going, like, nobody's treating him like people treated A-Rod when he left the Mariners for the Texas Rangers. Nobody's treating him like Bobby Bonilla got treated when he signed, or LeBron, or Damian Lillard, or anybody else who's taken a max contract and taken advantage of the market. Shohei Otani's getting more money than anybody who has ever played professional sports in the United States, and everybody in the end is going... That guy's a really good guy. He's very unselfish. It's brilliant if you think about it. I want your reaction to it. We really didn't kick it around on yesterday's show. I want to unpack it a little bit on today's show. When you see a player like Shohei Otani getting that kind of money, what is your reaction to it? Because I can remember when Bobby Bonilla all of a sudden was getting you know $20 million contract with the Mets, and everybody was like, that's too much money. Nobody deserves that kind of money. I do think attitudes have shifted. Ticket prices for the Dodgers for opening day. Opening day average ticket price now sitting at a 74% increase of what it was before they signed Otani. $811 is the average ticket price for opening day. $482 for a regular Dodger home game. Team's valuation is going to go up. This is a win for Otani. It's a win for the Dodgers. It's a win for Dodger fans. Is it a win for baseball? Well, baseball fans are going to get to see more of him on television. Is that a good thing or not? I want your reaction to it. 503-417-7575. That's a lot of lettuce, Stephen. What would you make of it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's good. It's like you said, it's good for Otani because he looks like a great dude coming out of it, right? Like he's deferring money. He's letting the Dodgers save some money so they can go out and get more players, stay under the luxury tax. But at the same time, like Joey Otani is going to be fine money wise. Like it's not a big deal. And you know, I am, I, I was, you know, I was, I'm not a big Dodger guy either. I just don't like to root for him. I just don't like these teams that can go out and buy all these players. Like, it right. just, you know, it just bothers me a little bit. So I was hoping, you know, Shohei would end up somewhere else and not in L.A. with the Dodgers. But great move by the Dodgers as well. Like, you know, the Diamondbacks, they were the surprise team last season. You know, beat them in the playoffs, get to the World Series. They're a team on the rise. Well, what's the best way to stop that? We'll go out and get the best player in all of baseball probably and Shohei Otani and put him in the middle of the lineup next to everybody else that the Dodgers have. It's just – it's a win-win for the Dodgers and for Shohei, but it is interesting to, to to see people's reactions to it all now. Just how much the money it doesn't even—I don't know that it necessarily matters anymore. Like fans don't really care about the money when it used to be all about the money, right? We were all so mad that A Rod signed somewhere else. Now it's like, okay, we get it. Like this is a job, this is your career. Make as much money as you possibly can. So glad for Shohei, but it, you know, I don't think it's all about just trying to get a win, like trying to win the World Series for Shohei Otani, like he got the most money possible and that's what he wanted. Like that's what you should do. You should go out and you get the most money. If it was, you know, anybody that offered Shohei $700 million, you know, over you know how many years, no matter how he wants to defer the contract or if he wants it all in 10 years, it doesn't matter. That's where he was going. It wasn't just because it's the Dodgers and he wants to win. It's about the money and I think that's okay. Like that's what you're supposed to do in professional sports. I think there's been a desensitized, you know, fans have been desensitized when it comes to 
the contracts. And, you know, we probably have been trained by the NFL and the NBA in particular, where we see the terms of the deals, we see exorbitant salaries, we hear about the salary cap, we just hear tens and hundreds of millions of dollars talked about like it's monopoly money. And so I think fans get a little bit desensitized to it. I also think that Otani is the right guy, right? It, it, when when this started, when free agent, you know, off season started, or maybe the end of the regular season started last uh, last uh, you know winter or, or last fall, we started talking about Otani as a five hundred million dollar guy, and that was mind blowing. Will he get five hundred million? And then I heard like a month ago six hundred million. I didn't hear seven hundred million until like over the weekend, and it kind of knocked me off my feet because I was like, well, wait a minute. Are we talking about 10 years? We're talking about $70 million a year? And how is that possible? Well, the Dodgers made it work for Otani because he made it work for them. He said, look, I'm going to take this salary deferred, but instead of $600 million, you're going to pay me $700 million, and you won't have to pay me interest. You're just going to pay me more up, you know, up front on the base of the contract. I just don't know who else in baseball could compete with this. Like there was talk about the Mariners offering him one year at sixty-five million, you know, and people joked. Like the Oakland A's, they offered him one dollar a year for seven hundred million years. Like you know, it was like who can afford Shohei Otani? Let's go to the phone lines five zero three four one seven seventy-five seventy-five. Chad's in Portland. Chad, go ahead. Hey, what's up, John? Love your show, man. I listen every chance I get, but I got two thoughts. And it's funny you mentioned right away the fans because that's immediately what my baseball-loving buddy texted me was the poor Dodgers fans who will never be able to go see a game again. But now that it's come out that he's restructured or that the deal is structured this way, my second thought is, is this uh, replicable? Uh, I don't know. I personally think about two stars we've got here in Portland, two star guards that could be coming up on some big contracts. Could we – convince them that the future and putting off a big payday today could lead to some championships in Rip City. And I'll take it offline, man. Thanks, John. Yeah. Does the NBA allow deferral of salary? Yes. But players can only defer about 25% is the cap. So depending on your agreement, you could only do 25% of the salary deferred. That's to keep, what, teams from circumventing the salary cap in the NBA and the luxury tax. And it's supposed to be friendly for small market teams. What the Dodgers did is within the rules. Major League Baseball, of course, began reviewing the contract, looking at it. I'm sure there was some of the competitors for Otani's services that were hoping that baseball will look at the deal and go, you know, this this doesn't fit under the rules. But it's explicitly laid out that there's no cap in Major League Baseball to what you can defer. And if I'm MLB, Shohei being with the Dodgers is, like, the greatest thing that ever happened. Like, the only thing that would be better would be the Yankees, right? Like, it's you've got the star of the game in the media market. You didn't lose him out of Southern California. He doesn't have to relocate significantly. His drive, his commute changes. But this is good for baseball. It's good for Otani. I just think that people have become and, – and for the idea that the fans are not going to pay for it, I got, I got news for you. The fans are going to pay for this. The, see, the, the ticket prices went up tremendously. And so people were saying, hey, the Dodgers won't have to pass this on to their ticket buyers. You better uh, believe the beers are going to cost more. 
the tickets already cost more. That you know, the Dodgers are going to air quotes here pay for this contract. But in the end, fans always get left holding the bag. It's the same thing that's going to happen across college. You see, when you start to see, you know, this tier of teams that's supposed to be at the top of the NCAA that Charlie Baker, the NCAA president's talking about. You know, he's talking about separating the top tier teams. They will compensate their athletes. It'll cost between six and eleven million dollars, depending on how much they pay their athletes. But this is going to be the upper echelon of college football and. And and Charlie Baker says there'll be a hundred programs involved in it. I got news for you. Like, you know, Ohio State and Michigan, sure. They're gonna they're gonna be able to compete, but I you know, Ohio State and Michigan fans are gonna be paying that six to ten million dollars because ticket prices are going up. Like the school itself is not gonna say, Well, it, you know, we've been making too much money. Let's cut into our profits. Five oh three four one seven seventy five seventy five Hoover. Sean, welcome. John, hope you and your family are well. Maybe you can understand this a little better than me. I uh, can't quite wrap my head around it. prevents most teams from doing this with big-name players, or even the Dodgers, from getting all of the top-team players in, deferring a, a chunk, you know, half or more of their contracts, and just having the absolute, you know, bangingest, you know, roster in baseball. Well, for most guys, what prevents yeah. that? I mean, how much can Major League Baseball say no? You can't do that if there's no salary cap and there's no rules against it. Yeah, the the Major League Baseball is probably not that worried about it because there aren't a lot of players like Shohei Otani who can say, "Yeah, I will defer the vast majority of my salary for another day." He can do it because he's making fifty million dollars in endorsements, and the next best player, uh, next highest, you know, paid endorser in baseball, is making five or six million, and so you know he's making ten times what the other players in the league are making, the other star players at the All Star game are making. So Shohei's like not hurting, and he's able to go, yeah, I'm going to take a long view, I'm going to go sign with the Dodgers, I'm going to do the best thing. There are cases, you know, we've seen cases of players in the NFL who will take the minimum, who will take less than what, you know, they're, they're, they could get on the open market in or restructure their contracts. Tom Brady's done that in prior years with the Patriots, restructured his deal so that the Patriots could keep other players. Like, there are a lot of players, I think, that take the long view and go, hey, I take a little less money up front, I get the money in the end, but, man, my team's better around me because of this. I think this has gone on for years, just not at the scale in the extreme that we see with Shohei Otani. Do you think it's going to start a trend with other star athletes? Because I'm with you. I don't know how many how many athletes really can do this besides you know Shohei Otani. Maybe you know, LeBron James could do it. And Patrick Mahomes probably could do it. Something like that because of the endorsement money. Like To be able to take only $2 million out, like, when, you know, my wife heard that, and she's like, well, how's he going to live in L.A.? And I was like, well, he has five, $50 million in endorsements. He'll be fine. Yeah. But, like, I don't know how many athletes really can do this. Like, he has not only not only can he do it because of the endorsements, but he has the leverage that the free agency – is this going to start a trend, do you think? Or is yeah. this kind of a one-off type of thing with Shohei? So, in, in Major League Baseball, you can defer all your dollars if you want. In the NBA, it's 25% of your contract can be deferred. In the NFL, it's different. Um, 50% of your salary up to the first $2 million, 
and then no more than 75% of your salary uh, of everything after $2 million. So you can defer a large chunk of your salary if you're an NFL player. You know, 50 to 75%, you know, depending on how long that deal is. So I think they're going to be copycats. We always see this. I think the light bulb goes on for a guy like LeBron. Maybe the light bulb goes on for a Patrick Mahomes who's really frustrated right now in his with his team and, you know, with his receiving core, dropping passes and lining up offsides and, you know, missing an offensive tackle. I think there will be copycats, Stephen, to your point. Like, it, that's kind of what we saw. Like, in the NBA, I think the NBA is the most guilty uh, sport of them all. When one star player says, oh, I'm going to sit out for load management, four or five other t- high-tier stars all go, well, if he's sitting out, I'm going to sit out. We, you see a lot of that. And you, I think it's resulted in the NBA sort of being a copycat league in that way that players move around for super teams and the way that they ask for contracts or you know conduct themselves or even the way that the Olympic Dream Team's put together. You see sort of a peer pressure that exists within the sport that sort of, uh, you know, if if LeBron's going to play, then Carmelo says he'll play. And, you know, you sort of see that play out over and over. So I do think what Otani's doing, and frankly how celebrated it really is being, like people are, like it's it's the rarest of cases. He is the highest paid player in all of sports, and everybody's going, what a generous guy. You know, like you just don't see that. And what an unselfish person. Because normally the reaction, like the 48 to 72 hours after a deal like this, is everybody going, look at that guy, he's getting rich, he's cashed in. You know, there's a sellout element that usually comes with it. And with this Otani deal, it's the wildest thing. It's just really weird to see him celebrated as a very unselfish player. So, yes, I think you're going to see... LeBron go, hey, I'm deferring 25% of my contract, and you're going to see you know, people like Patrick Mahomes and others in uh, football in the NFL saying, I'll defer as much as I possibly can. Is it, is it, is it fair? Is it fair to middle the small market teams? Because they can't do no. this. The Kansas City Royals can't do this type of contract. This makes it perfectly so the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Mets, all these high-priced teams, they can do this. And so now they can go out and they can get any free agent and say, look, we'll just pay you later on when we make all this money back because we'll be good with you on the team. I, I don't find it fair. Like, I just, I don't know. And maybe that's just me being you know, a Blazer fan, being in a small market, like knowing yeah. that they could never do that. But I don't know. It just kind of rubs me the wrong way that he's deferring, you know, $680 million of a $700 million contract. Like, you're already getting double the, the salary that everybody else is getting. Now you're going to make it so it's easier for the Dodgers to sign even more players? I, I don't know, John. I just... Unfair is the wrong word because nothing in life is fair. It's fair, especially in sports, but I don't know. It just rubs me the wrong way. It's within the rules, so I'm not going to say it's unfair, but I hear what you're saying because I think the reaction from about half of the league is going to be, hey, we can't do that. And so I do think you'll see baseball institute some caps on what can be deferred. Jeff Passan, ESPN, was all over it. He sort of answered the question why Otani went with the Dodgers. They were the favorite at the beginning for one reason and one reason only, and that's that they could pay the most money. And look, $700 million, I mean, when you compare it to the biggest contract in MLB history, Mike Trout's $426.5 million dwarfs it. When you compare it to the biggest free agent contract in MLB history, Aaron Judge's $360 million almost doubles it. So there was the money. There was also the fact that Shohei Otani, having played down the five 
in Anaheim for six years, really grew to respect the processes that the Dodgers have in place and how they develop players in their farm system and the technology and science and everything they do. But the third thing, they win. And Shohei Otani, as we saw in the World Baseball Classic this year, loves winning. And he thought that winning in Los Angeles was going to be the best place to do so. And let's face it, for a guy who is foreign born, looking over at the brand of the Dodgers, that is a very difficult uh, thing to walk away from. You've, you've got California, Southern California. You don't have to move. You get to go win. You get more money than anybody else can pay you. Um, I think there will be some pushback. But uh, Shohei Otani to the Dodgers now, as a Giants fan, I'm rooting, I think, harder and harder against the Dodgers. I don't know. Mark in Portland. Mark, how do you see it? Hey, great topic. Uh, I, You know, I, you guys are going to know more about this because I don't even know how the salary caps work in each sport. But to me, the, the NBA and, and MLB – they need their best players in big markets to sell their game. Whereas the NFL, we love football. We love the game. Uh, so if Milwaukee's playing, if there's two small markets in the Super Bowl, it's going to be close to the same type of crowd as if there was two big markets. So, I mean, it, it seems like the NFL has more control over it. I mean, you, you can't ever expect a, a player of this magnitude to be to fall in a to go to a small market. He's he's either going to go to the Dodgers or the Yankees. You know that's yeah. what it always seems like to me. They always get the best players, and you know they're they're afraid if Milwaukee's playing Seattle in a World Series or something like that that nobody's going to watch. So it's 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 all about there's a little bit of a little bit more entertainment in the NBA and and MLB than. The NFL. I'm really curious to see what's going to happen when college football has a real playoff because that's going to change the dynamics as well. But right now, it seems like they're more uh, in the same line as as you know the NBA, where the big the 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 biggest donors, you know, Nike, the, uh, Ohio State, Michigan, those teams are just going to control even a 12 team playoff. The way the we're paying players now, I just it's amazing to me to see. The, the way it's changed and now yeah. in in college it's all about money as well yeah in major league baseball just to answer the question you started with the the salary cap is soft there is a uh, competitive balance tax that the dodgers will pay um you know but the dodgers right now are still projected to be below the uh, the threshold of that tax even with the signing of otani because it's really just a $460 million deal. It's not a $700 million deal uh, because of the deferred salary. So they found a loophole. Will there be copycats? Absolutely. Do I expect that the small market teams are going to try to close the loophole? Absolutely. Is Otani looking good today? Yeah. he. You know, he's got his $2 million salary plus $50 million in endorsements, plus they're going to owe him a mint uh, when he turns 40. And everybody thinks he's, you know, a very generous, not a selfish guy. Otani wins in the end. Punch it audio's coming up. Leave it here. Brian Leaf joining us at four o'clock. Former NFL quarterback, Washington State star. They had a baby like two weeks ago, fourteen days ago. Welcome to new baby. So he'll be uh he may have bags under his eyes, but he'll be joining us at four o'clock. Tom Wistersill is the conference commissioner of the Big Sky Conference. 
He'll be with us in the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, we've been talking about Shohei Otani. We're going to play some Punch It audio. John in Vancouver's been holding. John, I'll take your call before we get into Punch It. Go ahead. Sure. Here's my thought. I wonder how much Otani led the Angels along with this idea that he was going to stay. That left the Angels with nothing at all in his return. The Yankees just got soda. They got five guys for him. The other thing I wanted to say is my friend's a real Yankee fan, and I was saying, uh, you know, how much would a ticket be? Otani's pitching and judge is batting. Is it strikeout or a home run? That's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah, tickets to that game uh, are uh, $900 just to get in, and you will pay $120 for an eight-ounce beer. But damn it, you will be seeing Aaron Judge and Shohei Otani. Um, Otani's been one of my favorite players. I'll be curious to see in a Dodger uniform if I lose that love for him. You know what I mean, Stephen? Like, I admire him. He's always smiling. He's such a talented player. Seems like a great ambassador for the game. Like, he's an easy, really easy guy to root for. And now he's putting on uh, the Dodger blue. Is it is it because you're more of a Giants fan? Or, yeah. is, it, or is it because... Now he's going to be on a winning team because we always turn yeah. we always turn on these superstars, right? When they start winning, you know, they're always this lovable story. I mean, go think back to Kevin Durant on the Thunder. We all liked him. He was, you know, this up-and-coming guy. And then he goes to the Warriors. We hate him. Like, is it one of those things or is it just because he's a Dodger? Probably both. You're, you're, you're probably right. And I think of Patrick Mahomes going through a little bit of that right now because such a good story. Came into the league hurt. He's playing in a small market. Chiefs have had all kinds of success with him at quarterback. And I almost feel like publicly there just becomes a point where people are like, you've had your fun. It, you're no longer an underdog at an underdog team. You're now the favorite. Quit your whining. And it becomes a little less likable I mean, in that way. Think back to the Warriors before their dynasty. Like yes. when, when Steph first came on. Totally. And that, I mean, we all loved him. It was must-see TV. And then it took like a year and we all started to hate the Warriors and act like they're the worst team ever. Completely. Let's play some punch it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, Dak Prescott is the favorite to win the NFL MVP award. He is at plus 150. Brock Purdy sitting at plus 185. Brandon Marshall does not think Brock Purdy should be the MVP. Punch it. Well, when it comes to Purdy, first of all, I'm a Brock Purdy fan, but I'm rolling my eyes too, you know, if I'm being honest with you. I'm not saying that. Obviously, he's playing great. The thing is, when you talk about most valuable player, right, the most valuable player to that team, and it's tough because when I look at the San Francisco 49ers, I look at them as almost like a plug-and-play situation at the quarterback position. Now, obviously, Purdy still has to make the throws. He still has to, you know, fit the ball in tight windows and make certain decisions, right? But at the end of the day, I don't think Brock Purdy uh, is should be the MVP frontrunner. You know, I'm looking more at, at, at like a Dak Prescott, you know, Lamar Jackson, you know, if, if, if you take those guys away from that team, you know, they probably won't make the playoffs. You know, if, if you take Brock Purdy away from the team and put Jimmy Garoppolo back in, maybe even Sam Darnold, right? I'm not saying they're going to be 10-3, and three, but they may be, you know, 
Eight and five. I think uh, Brandon Marshall's reaching. I get it. He's trying to find something that will bring some attention to what he's saying. But I think the evidence in the argument for Brock Purdy goes back to the NFC Championship game last year. The Niners were inept without Brock Purdy at quarterback. And then it goes back to the Jimmy Garoppolo era of 49er football. You know, they were all right, but they were nowhere near what they are with Brock Purdy at their best. It's true he has weapons, but in the same way that Patrick Mahomes had Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and, you know, all kinds of weapons available to him, Brock Purdy's getting the ball to those guys. Prescott's in this conversation, but right now I think those guys are neck and neck, and I do think it's going to come down to what happens in the final month of the regular season and who has the home field, but I think Brock Purdy is every bit as deserving as Dak Prescott. Don't you think this is more of a postseason question? Like, is Brock Purdy the answer in the postseason? I think in the regular season, he, he's awesome, right? Like, he's he's proven he can do it. Now can he get the team over the top? Because Grappolo, in fairness, got the 49ers to the Super Bowl, was one throw away from beating the Chiefs. Like, is Brock Purdy the difference in this situation in the postseason? Yeah, and I think that's the question, right? Because the Niners all along we're looking to upgrade there. And I just don't, I think they thought the upgrade was going to be Trey Lance. And almost by accident, really by accident, by injury, they stumble into Brock Purdy and then they go, look how smart we are. We picked this guy with the last pick. The truth is, it was it was a blind squirrel finding a nut. I mean, he's such a good player. He's so ripe for their offense. I just don't see the point in disrespecting what he's doing because you have the comparison of what they are without him. And you have the comparison of what they are when Garoppolo was there. They're a better team. And and they went into Philadelphia and proved that. Pete Carroll talking about the Seahawks. They're 6-7 and seven with four games to play. They have to be almost perfect, don't they? They host the Eagles on Monday night. Punch it. Uh, we have to, you know, we've got four games at the end of the schedule here that makes up this really the old-time fourth quarter of the season. And this is our shot. This is our shot to do something. And uh, we had our opportunity this past weekend. We didn't get it done to get it started, but we got to start a roll here. And uh, you know, coming up on Monday night against a great team, you know, here we go. And, and so we're gonna we're gonna face it, and we got to do something about it to make something out of this year. You know, they're getting the Eagles at the right time. They're not playing their best football. Seahawks are at home. Seahawks are currently a four-point underdog, and I think that's about right. This will be a very hard-fought game. Probably both teams in the 20s. Uh, And I think the Seahawks have a chance in this. And I almost feel like, you know, the Seahawks were kind of looking at the game with the Niners the other day. And I kind of wondered what would they do at the quarterback position. And then, you know, you look down the stretch and you're like, okay, this is it. Like, you know, if the Seahawks are going to do what they did a year ago and find a way into the playoffs, they, they do it by beating the Philadelphia Eagles, who are reeling two straight losses. Titans shocked the world last night with the Dolphins. The Titans were down by two scores. DraftKings had them at plus 1,100 to win the game. Late in the game, they came back. Will Levis talking about the comeback. 28-27 is the final. Punch it. I think we showed them the type of team you know we always thought we could be this season. Obviously, we've had some lulls, but uh, we got a special locker room, special guys across the board. Defense played a heck of a job against, you know, such a potent offense. I'm so happy for them and so glad we were able to grind it out at the end there. 
went out and ground it out. 28-27's the final. Mike McDaniel, uh, final three minutes, saw this one get away. He talked about it. Punch it. Well, I mean, what what didn't? I think it was a... Uh... It was a legitimate team loss. I think everybody had their hand in it. Um, I don't think it was intentional. I don't think people uh, went through the motions during the week. I th- it was a really, really good week of practice, I thought. So yeah, we, we all get to share the share the blame, in, in, in my opinion, or I, at least know the locker room felt 100% responsible. I think that's what you want. It's what you want. Locker room didn't feel it. The NFL is so squirrely, but uh, they led 27-13, final three minutes. Here came the Titans. Steven, what did you think as that was un- unraveling? Yeah, that you know, a little shocking, to be honest. Um, I, I think it showed the importance of Tyreek Hill, who was in and out of the game you know, with the injury. And maybe it makes me question the Dolphins. Going into the game, John, the Dolphins, they were the favorites in the AFC to win the AFC. Now, now they are not. I think you got to question, like, is Tua that guy? We, we questioned Brock Purdy. Can he get it done in the postseason? I wonder if Tua can. And I like Mike McDaniel. I like the weapons on offense. The defense has been all right this season. But I don't know. I, I think it really means the AFC is wide open. Like, this loss to the Titans makes me really question how good the Dolphins really can be when, when the games are on the line. Like, they, these are the type of wins that really good teams, they pump out. And they get the win. Up two scores. Like, you can't be losing that type of lead in the fourth quarter. So, I, I came away with a lot of questions about the Miami Dolphins going forward into the postseason after this one. Yeah, I think part of it, too, is the NFL. I mean, when you look around and you you talk about greatness in the league, we're talking about great teams that have three losses. And a team like the Chiefs that everybody sort of thinks is a potential contender in the AFC, they've got five losses. Some of this, to me, feels like the NFL. Miami's 9-4. and four. This is what Roger Goodell's league does, even to really good teams. But... I can tell you this. I was texting a little bit with Alex Molden after the game last night, and his kid Isaiah's playing for the Titans. And Alex was on, you know, fired up, basically just saying, you know, hey, people said they couldn't win. And there they were. I mean, that's the NFL in today's world. Patrick Mahomes, he's walking back the whining. Says he regrets the way he acted on the sideline. Punch it. Yeah, I mean, obviously you don't want to react that way. I just, I mean, I care, man. I love it. I love, I love this game. I love my teammates, and I, I want to go out there and put everything on the line to win. Um, but uh, obviously, can't can't do that. I mean, can't be that way towards officials or really anybody in, in life. Um, so I probably regret acting like that. Um, but more than anything, I mean, I, just re- I regretted the way I, I acted towards uh, Josh after the game because he had nothing, nothing to do with it. And, um, so I, I was uh, I, I was still hot and emotional, um, but you can't do that, man. It's not a great example uh, uh, for for kids watching the game. So uh, that that I was more upset about that than I was about me on the sideline. Yeah, look, I think he heard the chorus of criticism. Uh, brand new for Patrick Mahomes, had to feel pretty loud for him. In the same way, I think there's some frustration. As I mentioned, that is a five-loss team. You know, you look around and you go, okay, Denver's seven and six, Kansas City's eight and five. Like they're game. The Broncos are a game behind the Chiefs, and the Chiefs we all know are a lot. You know, on paper we say that's a lot better team, but here are the Chiefs looking flawed. Doesn't look like their year right now. Brady Quinn talking about Justin Herbert. Herbert having surgery on his finger. 
Can he bounce back? Here's Brady Quinn. Punch it. As far as the injury goes, like my long-term concerns for Justin Herbert are this. I, I had malafinger. I broke my right index finger in my throwing hand. I had to sit out six weeks. They put pins in there, a couple pins to help stabilize the joint. But the problem is you're going to have a little bit of nerve damage. The ball is going to feel different. You know, once he is able to get out from having all casted up, they pull those pins out. If indeed that is what's going to happen, you know, he's got to get back to that feeling, if he can, as close as he can, of how the ball is going to come off his finger. The right index finger is the most important of any digital you've got when you're throwing the football it controls the spiral the spin the accuracy and it's the last little kind of touch on the football so he's gonna have to get through that it, it sounds funny because it's such a small and it feels like it's insignificant injury but it's huge in, in in terms of obviously how it impacts his ability to play and play at a high level yeah look his ability to play at a high level impacted by the use of his fingers no doubt Justin Herbert, though, I, I, it's just been in a tough situation. It's been hard to watch him struggle with the changes of head coach, the changes of coordinator, injuries to his hands, the supporting cast questioned it at other times. I just keep waiting for it to fall together and come into place for Justin Herbert, but certainly the injuries now make it very difficult. Do you think there's an off chance that the Chargers may hit a quick reset and maybe look to deal Herbert and start over? Maybe because with that contract and the injury now, yeah, they've tried. You know, maybe, it, but I think there'd be a market for him. I, I actually think there would be a strong market for him. And how do you replace him if you're if you're the Chargers? Unless you can get high into the draft and get one of those two or three quarterbacks that everybody thinks is going to be can't miss, then I don't know how you do that if you're the Chargers. Leave it here. You got the BFT. Mariners fans, how do, how do you feel? How should Mariners fans feel? Mariners should be out there right now, what, making splashy moves? They were rumored to be in on the uh, Juan Soto sweepstakes and uh, don't end up with him. Jeff Passan, again, from ESPN, talking about the Mariners. You know, I just feel sorry for Mariners fans right now. It's a shame what's happening. When you have Julio Rodriguez in his prime under long-term contract, when you have... Luis Castillo under long-term contract, and George Kirby and Logan Gilbert under team control. <laughs> I mean, I can like I can keep going. J.P. Crawford coming off a, a phenomenal season, and Cal Raleigh. This is the makings of a championship team. This is when you add. I don't care if your RSN is falling apart. This is when you add because this is your window. But to be blowing this opportunity the way that the Mariners are right now uh, should anger, disillusion, disappoint, frustrate, and, and frankly lead fans to not wanting to care anymore because that's the way that the organization is treating this offseason right now. Yeah, Mariners fans very frustrated you know, obviously hearing the organization talk about, you know, the 54 percent at the end of last year and now watching the postseason and the off season go on really without them participating. Uh, Seattle could be a really good franchise and I feel for Mariners fans. I don't know. Stephen, are you much of a Mariners fan? Uh, I mean, I would say that's the team I root for the most in Major League Baseball. But so, yes, but not really. You know, I don't really have a team. I think it's uh, I think it's tough. If you're a Mariners fan, you're watching all this happen, and you're watching, you know, the rich get richer, of course. And you know, I think if you're a Mariners fan, you just want to see 
because the fear becomes what? If they don't do anything, they are going to end up with uh, a team that's not very good and talented players who go, it ain't happening for me here. And, you know, and the Mariners have cleared $20 million in salary and have left themselves in a position where, like, you know, they could matter. And nope. Uh, you know, uphill battle. But their history, the Mar- their history the says they're not going to. I mean, think of all the generational guys they've had on those teams all the way back to King Griffey Jr. Like, they had Griffey, they had A-Rod, they had Randy Johnson. They have all these guys. They lose them all because they didn't, you know, the other franchises that were willing to give them all the money and to pay them, and then the Mariners have to rebuild. And now they got Julio Rodriguez, who's one of those guys, right? And, and they had Felix Hernandez, who was one of those guys, and he didn't get the team around him. Now, now with Julio, like, Jeff Passon's right. Like, at some point... Don't you have to spend, or or is it all about just you know not even worrying about the money? You don't have to worry about that. You just worry about you know making as much money as possible. Like I just feel like the Mariner fans deserve more for sure. Like they have a really good team and they have all stars, generational talents. It wouldn't be that hard to go out and get some new guys. And you know the thinking of a franchise is different than the thinking of the fan base. Franchise might be looking at the salary and going, you know what. This is a year in which, again, you come back to kind of the mentality that the Mariners unveiled in their postseason exit interviews. The mentality that was unveiled was not unlike kind of the thinking that Oregon State had years ago when Oregon State had Mike Riley as the coach. The Beavers had kind of figured out that season ticket renewals were tied to the team being passable, meaning if the Beavers just made a bowl game, They renewed their season tickets at a rate that was uh, a huge win. It didn't matter if it was a Rose Bowl or a Sun Bowl, any bowl game. And so Oregon State kind of set the model up and internally first talked about the model being we want to make a bowl game. Every year we make a bowl game, we renew season tickets, the money keeps coming. This is how we fund the thing. Uh, But the fan base didn't want to hear that. And after a few years of making bowl games – They wanted a Rose Bowl, and Oregon State, I don't think Oregon State was really thinking like, you know, all we want is a Vegas Bowl or all we want is a Sun Bowl, but, you know, they they came out and kind of honestly talked about the reality of circumstances for Oregon State was they just said, hey, if we make a bowl game, we understand our model works, and the public took that to mean they're not trying to win a Rose Bowl. I don't think that was the case, but the Mariners came out and basically said, you know, that whole 54% thing, we just want to do a little better than, uh, you know, a little better than uh, some years will be, uh, you know, above 500, some years will be below 500. That's not what fans want to hear. That does not make fans go buy season tickets. Signing Shohei Otani makes fans go buy season tickets and single game tickets and beers and hot dogs and Dodgers jerseys. And you're going to see just this halo, this glow around the Dodgers that the Mariners fans just don't have. And I get it, and I think Portland Trailblazers fans get it, and I think Oregon State and Washington State fans get it, and I think, you know, small market teams everywhere are kind of dealing with this same mentality, watching their front office go, you know what, Um, you know, we'll go get, uh, you know, a a fourth starter, or we'll go get um, somebody who can back up the catcher, and, you know, we'll spend you know, five or 10 million instead of, uh, uh, you know, 700 million. And how do you keep pace? 
And how do you keep hope? How do you keep hope as a Blazer fan, Stephen? Well, that's what I was going to bring up. As a, as a Blazer fan, I can emphasize with all Mariner fans. Like, you know, for as long as they had Dame, I just wanted them to, to try to make one move. And the biggest trade they made was, what, for Hassan Whiteside? Like, I get it. As a general manager, your job is to keep your job, right? It's not even necessarily to win a championship. It's you want to keep that job as long as possible. And Neil O'Shea was the king of that, going around on the boundaries, getting guys that just make you good enough to make the playoffs but not enough to succeed because you don't want to make that big swing and miss because then you're fired. And so I get it from that point, but as the fan base, it's hard. It's hard to think that way. Like I'm always thinking, how can they win a championship? What's the next step to do that? You know, I know it's not one move away, but it's it's five, six, seven moves away. I'm always thinking, what's the best way to win a championship? And for me, like you have to take some swings. And so I think with the Mariners right now, they're they're in a dangerous spot, just like the Trailblazers were with Dame. Like they have guys that are good enough to build around, and you got to add pieces to it. And if they don't add pieces and they just want to build from within, it, it's not going to work. Like that just that's not how you're going to win in baseball, especially when teams are spending seven hundred million dollars on guys. Like the Mariners, you can't build from the farm system and win a championship. So I hope they spend, and then I hope they don't turn into uh, you know a Damian Lillard Trailblazer situation. Yeah, and I think for fans, fans say. You want to take a shot, right? You want to you want to go for it, but that's not what keeps general managers employed. He's taking a shot and going for it. I mean, Neil Olshay played it safe, made conservative moves, didn't take any risks because it was good for his longevity and his career and keeping the job. And so sometimes these things don't line up. Ryan Leaf coming up. I want you to be here for it. Leave it here. I love having our next guest on. He joins us once in a while. Like to have him on like once a season. Former NFL quarterback. Former Washington State standout. Ryan Leaf. Broadcaster. Husband. Father. Just had a baby 14 days ago. I remember that. My wife and I, we... We're in a Starbucks, and we saw a couple holding a newborn baby, and she looked over at me, and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that exhaustion. Ryan Leaf joining us now. How are you, man? How's the baby? Ryan, how are you? Ryan's not there. See, I gave him a great setup, and then he's not there. I was all dialed in. Maybe he's changing a diaper. I don't know. We'll grab him back on here in just a second. Steven, do you remember that exhaustion? Exhilaration slash exhaustion of having a brand new baby? Yeah, I think for me it was more just exhaustion at all times. Like the exhilaration wore off real quick, and I'm like, man, this is real. I got a real-life person that I have to yep. take care of. Uh, yeah, this is going to be a different change in my life. It's game time when you've got a young child, and Ryan Leaf is back now. How are you, man? How, how's the baby? I, you know, I had to run and change a diaper, so you know how it gets. You know, <laughs> I had to... Uh, no, man, it's, it's been great. Uh, she is, uh, she's a little Marvel. She is, uh, we really struggled, uh, to have the second one and, you know, the, you know, someone blessed us and, and we made it, uh, full term and my wife and, and, uh, her are just rock stars. And now MacGyver's got a, got a little sister to be a big brother too. So he's pretty excited that. about that. I love that. Congrats, man. Uh, I appreciate you joining us and, um, and uh, do we have a name? Uh, Claiborne. But uh, yeah, what did you what did you what did you nickname her, buddy? 
Bo. Yeah, he he called her Bo. So that's, that's gonna. So we, you know, we thought it was probably apropos this year with little Bo Nix. Let's go with yeah. little Bo Leaf. I love yeah. that. A little uh, little Bo Leaf. I love that. Ryan Leaf with us. Um, we want to talk some football, but you know, I want to talk about what you're doing with uh, broadcasting and speaking. You've been everywhere, uh, seemingly. Um, you know, are you having fun? Are you having fun doing what you're doing in this segment, this season of your life? Yeah, I mean, it's I'm incredibly blessed, John. I mean, you know, literally ten years ago today, um, you know, I was sitting in a prison cell. So uh, to have the life that I have, this this life that uh, just continues to give me just, I mean, unbelievable um, things, you know. It's not lost on me that if I do the next right thing, you know, real positive things happen for me. Uh, the show's going great. Uh, you know, I'm really getting uh, to start. I've really got to start to call a lot of NFL games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, called New England and Pittsburgh last week. I got the Ravens and Jags this weekend, and then, I think Christmas Day I got the Chiefs and Raiders and a couple playoff games next. Uh, but, I, you know, it's just I couldn't ask for anything more. I get to talk ball. Uh, we moved back east. You know, we live in Connecticut, New York now. My studio's in New York. I uh, became a contributor to Good Morning Football, which I do uh, once a week now. And, I mean, it's – I don't. I just I, – I, I thought the life of my dreams was, uh, you know, playing football. But it turns out it was just kind of being a dad, uh, you know, helping people and – and, and talking and ball, and that's uh, that's seemingly enough for me. It makes me very, very grateful and, and blessed to do it. I, I love it, and I think you have a lot of life perspective, obviously, and you've walked the walk, and I love especially, too, that you kind of you kind of meet that head on and you talk so openly. Like you bring up the fact that where you were 10 years ago and you know how you feel different now, and, and I think that, that being candid in that way is helpful to people, and you know, I don't, probably wasn't always easy to talk about it, though, was it? Well, of course not. It, it's you know, you you're well. What it is is you're not you're not comfortable in your own skin, right? So you you don't like the guy you see in the mirror, and so therefore you're you're hesitant and uh, you're ashamed. I think, and I think what ultimately changed for me is that I like the guy I see in the mirror, um, and I'm okay with who that guy is. You know flaws and all and so um that's that's a big big reason why i'm okay with it and and why i talk about it and then to your point it is all about somebody who's listening to your show right now uh, who may be struggling or may be fearful that uh you know he won't be able to get a job because he's a convicted felon or um or you know people may judge him and look at him differently or her differently because um you know they were a drug addict or deal with mental health issues and and you you have to know that that that's not the case like you are not one moment you are not one thing you are the sum of all life's parts uh and it's not about what you've done you've you made amends for it and you've tried to become better and tried to make it about other people like you can rewrite your story in a positive way that will make it really really um special for you so that's yeah that's the biggest reason why and and i'm and i'm okay with it i don't i don't care i mean everybody knows my story it's not like it's news to anybody else right at this point yeah and i think too like i just think it's funny on social media when somebody comes at you you're just like so what and you know you just kind of turn the (laughs) turn the mirror back at him 
and it just shuts them down. Like, because I think they expect you to get defensive about it, and you're not. You're just like, hey, we're all, none of us is perfect, Ryan. Like, you know, and you, you just kind of shine the mirror back at them. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the hope. Because people did it to, for me, you know. There was a guy in prison, my roommate, who, who really showed me the mirror, um, and uh, and I had to I had to address it. And so, you know, when when you do when you when you show somebody maybe how they're behaving, um, they either uh, see it and address it, or they don't see it because it makes them feel uncomfortable, and they continue on with with the behavior that they, uh, they are exhibiting. So I, I get it. You offer them a chance, you, you know, you can't control what you can't control. You know, you, you try to help and then you move on. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I think people just assume because I guess most people in the human human condition is to be defensive and is to be like, Hey, this, that, and the other, I'm, I'm okay with the fact that I only played four years in the NFL. Uh, I wish it would have been more. Um, but I tell you what, growing up in Montana, I wasn't supposed to play, one snap in the NFL. So I had to really kind of develop a different perspective around what success is. And I also think there is a bit of, I don't want to, I don't want to say it's jealousy. I want to say it's maybe, uh, I don't know what it is. I, I think they just, they're angry that, um, you know, I get to have this life almost because of how I almost burnt it to the ground, I think. Mm. And that's, that's bothersome. Ryan Leaf with us. Help us with the Kansas City Chiefs controversy with uh, receiver not lining up. You know, you've played enough football to know that, you know, that receiver, that's his job to be on sides, isn't it? It is. That, that's day one stuff. It, it, it is. You, you practice it. Um, you know, a lot of times you step up to the line, uh, you – you're usually, you know, uh, look down the line of scrimmage and see the linesman and ask him if you're okay, you know, and, and you know, you've built a relationship with the with the official during the game and then official gives you a nod yes or a nod no or a shake of his head no and you back up a little bit. Um, you know, it's just about awareness, knowing what the situation is, what's going on, how you go about it. Um, you know, if things aren't corrected early in the game, if you've been doing it all game, you figure that that's being considered on the line of scrimmage and which was the case, you know, Kadarius Tony lined up in the exact same spot, you know, three or four times when he was on the line of scrimmage in the game and no flag was ever thrown until, you know, within two minutes. So I think that's why everybody's a little bit up in arms about it. Usually the official early in the game will say, Hey, get, get, uh, get 19 back a couple steps, you know, but nothing, nothing was said. And then, that's why I think people feel like it was so bothersome and it's the chiefs and, you know, they've seemingly got all the calls and everything like that, but yeah, you have to understand the moment. You also have to understand what your position is and to make sure you're lined up appropriately. What I think has pissed everybody off so much is that it, it's a rule that doesn't need to exist for wide receivers. Like it doesn't, it's not a confusion tactic to make somebody believe uh, a receiver is eligible or not eligible. Mm. Uh, a DB out there covering him isn't going to be affected by him being, you know, on the official line of scrimmage that's on the television, uh, you know, with the graphics on the line there. So it's it's a it's a a penalty that had zero effect on the play or should of the game. But because of the rule is a rule is a rule, you have to follow it. Just like anything in golf that you may find arbitrary 
or any other rules that exist that way. They are the rules of football. If they wouldn't have called it, and it was as blatant as people have pointed out, wouldn't we be talking about uh, how, once again, the officials blew it and <laughs> Buffalo lost that game when the guy was offside? So you really have to take a good hard look on it. I think this was an accumulation of everything that was kind of piling up on the Chiefs uh, the last couple of weeks. And when you lose four or six, right, That's and you're the defending world champs, that's going to have something um, to make you frustrated about. Yeah, let's talk about that because – you got the Eagles struggling a little bit with a couple losses in a row, albeit to really good teams. Chiefs look vulnerable. What's happening with Kansas City? What's happening with Philadelphia? Uh, you know, like Kansas City, we thought would be a bit of a struggle with the skill position, and it has been. Travis Kelsey hasn't been the, the, the dynamic player that he's always been um, this year. But also – I really do think if you look at the losses outside of the, you know, outside of the Denver Broncos game, that you you have a play here or there that it could have gone their way. I mean, the, the drop pass in week one to Detroit, of course, the MSB drop versus Philly, uh, the no call on a uh, on MSB at, at Lambeau Field where he was hanging on his back. And then last week with a, just a, you know, this penalty that cost them the game, like you could look at all of those games and go, if it would have happened one way or the other for this Kansas City Chiefs team, they could easily be in a position, you know, where they're, uh, where they're 12 and one, you know, mentality. They, 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 there's a real good chance that that could be the case. And that's usually fallen their way in years past. This year, they haven't been as lucky. They still are right there. They're still right in a position. You watched Baltimore. Uh, almost get beat uh, by the Rams this weekend, and, you, and then you did watch the Dolphins go out and get beat uh, by the Titans, who have been awful on the road this year. So, you know, with those types of losses, it allows you to, to have one of those games, and, you know, the Chiefs are still right there. Uh, the Broncos are within one game, though, and, you know, that's the biggest thing here. Can they continue their dominance of divisional champions and get to host a playoff game? If not, if they're coming as a wild card for the First time in Patrick Mahomes' uh, career, and they have to go on the road in the playoffs. You know, what does that look like? He doesn't know what that feels like at all. Philadelphia has the game against San Francisco, which may have just been an ambush, and they come back, they lose to the Cowboys. Is there any panic there with the Eagles, or what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, I think there should be. I mean, the fact that they can't, uh, their best skill position players turn it over three times in the game against the Cowboys, and then on the defensive side of the football the week before against the 49ers, I mean, they could not tackle anything in space. And when you're going to go up against the Dallas Cowboys and the San Francisco 49ers, because right now they're trending towards being the fifth seed. If they're the fifth seed, they have to go, of course, first to an NFC South uh, champion's home, which I, I don't think will be a problem for them. But then they're most likely going to have to go to Dallas again or out to San Francisco for the divisional round, and I, I don't really give them a chance in those games. And if that's the case, you know, they put themselves in a really tough spot. They could have found a way to win one of these two games they lost over the weekend, last two weekends, they would still be in first place. And with the back end of the schedule pretty, you know, pretty manageable outside of maybe traveling to Seattle this weekend, uh, they had a good chance of having home field advantage. If they have home field advantage in the playoffs, that, that's a different football team than it is one that has to go on the road all the way across the, the country to San Francisco or even back down to Dallas, as we saw on Sunday night.
Ryan Leaf with us, former NFL quarterback and analyst and man of the world. Uh, Brock Purdy, give me an idea. You know, he comes up in the MVP conversation. You got some people saying, you know, he doesn't deserve credit. Look at the weapons around him. But we did see the Niners with Jimmy Garoppolo, and we saw him without Brock Purdy in the playoffs. How much credit do you give Brock Purdy for what's happening in San Francisco? I, all of it. All of it. Um, don't don't get me wrong. The the contributions from the uh, in his supporting cast is uh, exceptional. But you go back and look at the championship teams of of old. You look back at the Pittsburgh Steelers teams. The defense was amazing. And then Terry Bradshaw had Franco Harris, Pro Football Hall of Famer, Lynn Swan, Pro Football Hall of Famer, John Stallworth, okay, Rocky Blyer running the ball. Too. I mean, this every time you have a championship team, you, the quarterback is in a position to have amazing skill position. You just got to look at the 49ers in, the, in years past, John Taylor, Jerry Rice, you know, you, Brett Jones, and then you got um, Joe Montana, Steve Young. Are you kidding me? I mean, they're there. The quarterback makes them better. Yes, they're great players. Don't get me wrong, but don't punish the guy that's the one who's facilitating everything. He right now is my MVP of the league, and there's no way somebody's going to get me to step off that if he continues to do what he's doing uh, over the next you know, four or five weeks of the season. He's going to be the NFL MVP, and he deserves it. You've played that position. You've been in the league. How difficult, maybe you can help listeners understand, how difficult is it to maintain that level of consistency or to keep a team in a groove like the Niners are in right now? It's incredibly difficult. And that's just not, you know, being said because it was incredibly difficult for me. Uh, that's why I'm such I'm in such awe of the guys that have been successful in the league, right? Um, you know, when I spend time with Peyton and we, you know, we're just, we just want, you know, he just wants to talk about life and family and our kids and stuff like that. And I'm just peppering him with questions about, you know, how he how he was how he got it done, you know, how how he could do that. And I think he's really pretty sick and tired of me asking these questions. But it is it, it's it's what makes it so so special to watch and be an analyst now because I know how difficult it is. And to see Brock Purdy, especially with you know everything thrown at him, saying, "Hey, you're not good enough. You are Mr. Irrelevant. We're going to give you a shot." And Brian Greasy kind of knows what that feels like, and he was very adamant about it with John Lynch and Kyle Shannon and saying, "Hey, you know, let's let's go get this guy." You know, it was in a it was kind of a throwaway pick at the end of the draft. We had Garoppolo and Trey Lance, where you moved heaven and earth to go to three with, and and Brian knew what he had there, and and I I do think he did a heck of a job last year managing uh, all those quarterbacks in that room, and then to come out uh, to be so good. Uh, to make them special. So, that, yeah, it's I just all the listeners out there, it's the most difficult position to play in all of professional sports. Uh, it, it simply is. You have to know everything that's going on. You have to be the one in control. And when you don't have a lot of time in this league, when you have very, very smart defensive coordinators that are trying to fool you and do things differently uh, to make things more difficult for you, it's extremely hard. And when things go wrong and when the microscope gets uh, dialed up for you to be able to deal with it off the field, to hear it in your ear all year long. Like you're not the reason anybody could do this. Uh, you know, doesn't matter who's out there at quarterback. Um, it would be the same result. And it, it certainly wouldn't. And Brock blocks it all out. Um, you know, I, I give him a ton of credit for his time at Iowa state, all the snaps he had and, 
in the leadership role he took over while he was there. And this, you know, this is a guy I'm going to ask you next about a guy that, you know, he's he's in that uniform that you wore once upon a time. Justin Herbert's with the Chargers and, you know, he's had injuries. He's had change of head coach. He's had change of coordinators. There's been questions about his supporting cast. And at some point, we all know what's going to happen. The fingers are starting to point at Justin Herbert. What does he need, Ryan, to be successful with the Chargers? Oh, you know, it's 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 tough to watch um, simply because I know how talented he is and how, how well he's played in this league. You know, I really, you know, I, I, I hate, like, throwing guys under the bus in terms of, of coaches, yeah. but, I mean, the liability for this team has been Brandon Staley. It simply has. The, the decision-making, I mean, Justin Herbert and the offensive guys are never going to say, don't go for it on fourth down. But they cannot um, convert. They cannot convert on fourth down. I would love to see the stat uh, on fourth down under the Brandon Staley area uh, era what their conversion rate. It's got to be nothing. I mean, the offense has done nothing for the confidence that Brandon Staley has shown them. But at some point, Brandon Staley's got to go, hey, you know, this is insanity, doing the same thing over and over and over, expecting a different result, uh, ultimately, you know, is going to get you fired. And uh, I, I don't know if he makes it to the end of the season, to be honest, but I, I don't know what that benefits necessarily, Justin being out now the rest of the year. But I do think that uh, – uh, that the the Los Angeles Chargers, who just signed him to a huge extension, extension is not going to let the prime of his career slide by um, and and find a a great football coach. And unfortunately, it's kind of been a, a merry-go-round there uh, in Los Angeles with the Chargers ever ever since back to when you know Kevin Gilbride was my coach. Marty Schottenheimer went 14 and two one year and got fired. So I mean, it's it it is what it is. Um, and I hope it doesn't go to waste. I hope he gets a real chance to win a championship because he's talented enough to do it. Ryan Leaf with us. Uh, brand new dad uh, two weeks ago, baby girl. He's got his son with him. Ryan, b- uh, before I cut you loose, uh, i I got to ask you about Washington State. I think you've been closely following the saga of the Pac-2. Uh, what would it mean to you and other Cougar fans and former players to to see Washington State find a path out of this? Well, of course, we'd love we'd love to to see some sort of path out of this. But I also know this, and and this is this is the god honest truth. I don't care where they play, who they play, when they play. I'm going to watch. I'm going to celebrate. Now, the unfortunate thing with it, if they don't have a path, which means they don't have the money that will back them up to allow them to keep all the other sports afloat, because that's the biggest and most important thing in all of this that all the sports stay together because every athletic program at Washington State is special in its own right. Not just football, not just men's basketball. The women's basketball team is awesome. Jen Greeny, who played at Washington State, uh, he's the head volleyball coach there, along with Shannon Wyckoff, who was there as well when I was playing. They are great. That team is unbelievable. Um, and so they need to be able to keep all these 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 great sports at Washington State afloat. That's my biggest fear in all this, is that the football team is going to continue, regardless of what the level looks like. And, and we all know where college football is going. College football is going to a, you know, National Collegiate Football League with two huge conferences, uh, 18 to 20 teams or so. And the teams that can't make the financial burden are going to be left out, and they'll be 
you know, essentially what the FCS is right now uh, at, at, the, at a new level. And that's probably coming in about two years. So, I mean, if they can stay afloat for these two years, and if the uh, you've done such great uh, investigative uh, reporting about uh, the lawsuit, um, how it's going about, if they can stay afloat by getting that, not allowing the 10 other teams uh, that are departing uh, to dip into the, the, the future school, like, hey, we're going to leave and we're going to take some of the money with us to help us move uh, mentality. If they are able to do that, I really do think they can get on for the next two years because of the money that they have in their coffers and maybe be able to pull something like an independent, um, maybe Apple, maybe they go back to Apple and say, hey, you see how how big the fan base is for us we can sell the subscriptions and and we can we can sell the subscriptions it's not like they won't be able to sell them because cougar fans all over the country are going to watch the Cougs. period that's just how it's going to go so that's where i would like to see it go um i have no idea where it's going to go i just know that you have a good guy in charge and pat shun i do think president schultz just for for whatever for what it's worth i think he took the eye off the ball because he was trying to keep everything together because he was at the top, yeah. right? He was at the top trying yeah. to keep everything together. I don't think he uh, was thinking outside that box when he was looking at the other teams in the league. He was going, come on, let's get everybody back to the table. Let's make this thing work instead of doing what was probably right for the university, and that was to go find a suitor uh, from the start and, and really have that in place in case, he couldn't keep everything together. And that may be the only thing I could fault him on, but I understand there was an optimism to him trying to, and an idealist trying to keep things together. So I'm never going to, you know, you know, bash on the guy for trying to do something to keep a, a conference that's been around forever uh, as one. Ryan Leaf, you're the best. Congrats on, on the new baby. Take care of that uh, son of yours, and we will, we'll check in with you down the road. Hi. Hello. You gonna take care of Bo? Uh huh. Good brother. The good brother. I love it. <laughs> First radio yeah, appearance but... or no, Ryan? Or what are we talking about? <laughs> What's that? Is it his first radio appearance? No, he. You know, we did. Uh, he came to Radio Row with me at the Super Bowl last year, and he was a he was a hit. People were. Uh, yeah, he had a, He picked. He he picked the Chiefs. I picked the Eagles. Who won, buddy? Chiefs won, yeah. He won, so there you go. All right. Tell him uh, pick the Niners this year. I think it's their year. All right. All, All right. right. Take care, man. Thank you for Thanks, joining John. us. All, All right. right. Have there a great... he goes. Ryan Leaf, uh, such good perspective. Um, you know, I have more intel on what Oregon State and Washington State are plotting to do with their television deal. Plus, Anna's going to join us. Tom Wistersill, Big Sky Conference Commissioner, will join us as well in the 5 o'clock hour. Leave it here. Do you know what today is? Do you know what today is? Anna, do you know what today is? Tuesday. Do you know what else Did it I is? Did I win? Mm, not yet. <laughs> do you know uh, what else it is? The 12th? It's the 12th of December. It is the one-year anniversary of Mike Leach passing away. It was oh, one year that. ago today Wow. that that happened. And um, I thought about the guy. I got to be honest. Loved having him on the show over the years. Loved talking with him about a variety of subjects. Loved talking to him about guns and aliens and cowboys 
and um, his philosophy on uh, whether or not he'd want to be the president of the United States or not. And uh, so as a uh, tribute to Mike Leach, I will offer you our conversation from October of 2012, 10 years ago, when I asked Mike Leach if he believes in aliens. Do I think they're little green men with uh, four fingers? I suspect not. Um, but what I what I think is, um, to me, it seems like it's way too much of an aberration that out of all of existence and everything, that we're the only inhabited planet. I find that to be a strag. Everybody says, well, <laughs> it's impossible. You know, folks that will say it's impossible for there to be life on any other planet. Well, I, isn't the reverse kind of true? Um, it wouldn't the reverse kind of be true? That we're, uh, it's, it, isn't it a little more unlikely that we're the only planet that has life? There you go. <laughs> I can't imagine what Mike Leach would have thought about the Pac-12 imploding. Ugh. Oh, I can't imagine. Yeah. But it wouldn't have been pretty. Um, I, I asked him one time about guns. I just got on a tangent about cowboys. He was into Geronimo. <laughs> he uh, had written a book about Geronimo. And it. I asked him about guns. And he started talking all about how his dad let him shoot a rifle. But, you know, when I was between 10 and 12, my dad would toss me the keys to the gun cabinet and say, here, go out and shoot and practice, but don't use the thirty out six because it goes a long way and I don't want you to hit a house, you know. And uh, I'd go out in the field and shoot cans and bottles, you know. But uh, but I will say this: I keep my guns in my on uh, in, on one part of the house totally locked up, and I keep the ammunition totally in another part of the house. Because if you think about it carefully, statistically, you're more likely to shoot yourself, a loved one, a relative. You know this notion of. Uh, you come in my house, I'll shoot you, you know. Uh, I do have a Viking axe by the bed, though, in case I need to whack somebody with it. <laughs> I enjoyed talking with him over the years. His father was a forester, and so that's they lived in uh, Cody, Wyoming. That's where they settled. But hmm. he was born in Susanville, California. His dad, Frank, moved him around. They moved around quite a bit and ended up, uh, you know, they were always living somewhere where dad could work as a forester. So his dad was an outdoorsman. And uh, interesting guy with a law degree, ends up coaching football, one of the very few head football coaches in major college football who did not, um, you know, himself come up sort of through the ranks as a player who played at a major university and, Go on to, uh, he played high school football, but did not play college football. There's very few coaches who did not play college football who end up as college football coaches. How about that? Mm. Uh, Mike Leach passed away a year ago. Sad. I thought about writing about him. Yeah. But I've written a lot about him. Mm -hmm. And the only column that I could have brought myself to write would have been to call his wife, um, Susan, mm -hmm. and maybe interview her. Yeah. And I thought, does she really want to do that? You know, I don't know. You you're that journalist who had to make that call so many times, and a lot of times the family members do want to talk. Yeah, I know. Um, I think journalists get a bad rap because they're like, "Why are you bothering someone?" You know, when they're trying to grieve. Um, 
but I always do advocate for at least reaching out in a sensitive way because um, it did often surprise me. Like sometimes the family that you reached out to really wanted to tell the story of the person they are grieving and wanted that person remembered in a certain way. A year has passed. I'm not saying that it's any easier for her, but, um, you know, there's a chance that she'd want to talk about her memories of him and, you know, what she's reflected on in the last year. I mean, gosh, she was only 61 years old. Too young. 61. Too young. And our interviews, like, I, I still probably should just do this. I should pull, like, the best interviews we did. But some of the best parts of the interviews were, like, the guy was just riding his bike <laughs> while we're talking. Or he was yeah. walking. Or he was getting gas one time. Right. And, or he was in the coffee shop picking up his coffee. And you, you kind of overhear the conversations he has with other people in the coffee shop. He was that guy. And he chronically had the cough. Right. Um, here he is. I asked him when this was in the run-up to the election, presidential election, what's going on. I asked him, would he want to be president? Would Mike Leach want to be the president of the United States? Uh, you know, the hardest thing about that job is getting that job. Uh, I think the hardest thing is getting that job. Would I want that job? Well, it's like anybody. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's like my job. You know, everybody sitting at home thinks they want my job. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and, there, and, and that's also a job like my job that, that everybody thinks they know how to do that job better than the guy that has it, you know. Uh, would I want that job? Yeah, I think I would. Now, I sus- my suspicion is, is, is you know, if some if he threw some pixie dust my direction and I got it, I'd wish I didn't after about a month. But you know, after I checked out all the stuff, did the museums, flew the airplane, uh, you know, uh, ran around Camp David, uh, you know, went. Uh, <laughs> you know, you could have all kinds of cool tours, you know, Washington and stuff like that. I mean, heck, you could even do a JFK mischief tour, you know, <laughs> like uh, this is, you know, this is the room where, you know. Yeah. And um, there he is. This is the room where JFK, <laughs> you know, uh, really, uh, really good stuff. Mike Leach. Year ago today, I remember we were I was out on vacation. When it happened. And uh, it's one of those things where there have been a number of times where we've been on vacation and something terrible happens. Yeah. And, you know, you I'm called upon to weigh in. Um, I sat down and I just started writing about him. And because I had known, I had just talked to him like that season, maybe a week or two before he died. And he was he didn't sound good. He was battling pneumonia all season long. Mm -hmm. He had fluid around his heart. Mm. He probably needed to take better care of himself, you know, obviously. The event he had, um, you know, and he was sleeping not too well. He he wasn't a guy who slept well in general. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, people like that who just say they don't sleep well. Yeah. He wasn't sleeping well, and he often would fall asleep on his sofa. And he would often call at weird hours. Like, you'd get a call at 11 o'clock at night or midnight, and here's Mike Leach, and he's got something on his mind. (laughs) And his wife thought he was just taking a nap, Mm -hmm. and he was asleep on the sofa. And apparently he was out. And uh, by the time they figured out that it wasn't just Mike Leach taking a nap, it was too late. 
Hmm. And uh, so, you know, 61, you're right. Way, way too young to have that. And then, of course, you had a lot of people talking about Mike Leach afterwards. But I'm going through our files right now, guys. We have hundreds and hundreds of Mike Leach cuts talking about, you know, CTE, talking about, um, you know, losing games, winning games, players, the role of being a coach and calling plays. Here he is about, you know, being a head coach who calls his own plays. So I coach the quarterback and coordinate and call the plays and always have. And, you know, the thing about it is you get into football to coach, and that's why you got in in the first place. And then all of a sudden, you know, as if you elevate the profession, you don't get a coach anymore. That's never made sense to me. <laughs> you get in there, and then you don't coach. You're the head coach, and you don't get to do the things, um, you know, that are uh, that are great and that you enjoy doing. Uh, here is Mike Leach talking about why he hates candy corn. I mean, I completely hate candy corn. Um, uh, when I was a kid, well, gummy bears, let's see. Uh, gummy bears for sure. Sour or regular? Uh, um, the, the, the Haribo. It's got to be the Haribo ones. And then uh, the other thing I like is uh, is when they used to have the, the uh, sprees in a box. Outstanding. You have to go to the dollar store to find it, but I do. And then the latest, the, the latest, you know, there's still candy innovation, although a while back I found that Europe had better candy than we did overall because <laughs> they have gummy everything. And then, uh, but the, um, the uh, you know, they have those Nerds Clusters, which is new. With the gummy. Yeah, which is good. The Nerds Clusters is good. And then if you go chocolate, uh, probably Almond Joy. And I mean, he's doing a halftime <laughs> coach. How do you feel about the first half? And he's talking about candy instead. Oh, it's one of a kind. All right. Finally, sure. I'm going to leave you the, this one. This is my last Mike Leach clip today. Here is his rant on the absurdity of the selection committee picking the teams for the college football playoff. Okay. This is a 10-year-old clip. Ask yourself if it holds up today, 2023, Florida State not picked as part of the playoff a playoff, you know, somehow establishes something and that that's a very clever approach. I mean, that's such a brilliant approach. That's why everybody does it that way. You know, I mean, nobody does it that way. I mean, if we we're so smart, wouldn't all the other sports say, I know what, let's have a committee, you know, because why not? Because, you know, we're American. We love committees. Let's get us a committee. Well, who should be on the committee? Well, I don't know. This guy's a good guy. Let's have him on the committee. Well, I mean, there's people on the committee that don't even have remote associations with football, nor have they at any level other than being a fan. But you know what? Let's have them on a committee. Why not? And then, um, <clears throat> I mean, it'd be fun. We'd go to that resort. We could talk, we could hang out at dinner, and then we'll decide which four teams should go. Because you know why? We don't need to solve this on the field, because we're the ones that know. And then, um, um, so I mean, you know, if we're going to do it that way, we should just ask them at the beginning of the season, you know, just go ahead and you guys vote on it, figure out one, two, three, and four, and why, why even have the games? To me, I mean, that, that, it's not a playoff. There's nothing playoff about it. 
and 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 this is even if we make it even if we make it my thoughts don't change um um i mean how can you how can you call it a playoff when when there's four teams there's nothing playoff about it it's a four-team invitational he's not wrong it's held up well leave it here you got the bald-faced truth is bill belichick is he leaving the patriots is he not leaving the patriots some reports out there, and this is probably one of the uh, issues, one of the many issues with social media and the rush to be first. Uh, numerous outlets reporting and citing other sources as the source of uh, the report out of you know Baltimore, excuse me, Boston, that uh, Bill Belichick is going to leave the Patriots at the end of the season. Is it Barstool? Is it Sports Illustrated? Is it uh, Twitter? Um, I'm waiting for a credible news outlet to report that Belichick's out. Boston.com saying Robert Kraft has already made a decision about Belichick's future. Yahoo saying that Robert Kraft needs to have a hard conversation with Belichick, posting that 30 minutes ago. Um, Mass Live saying that Kraft has set the stage for it. Um, uh, a lot of Taylor Swift headlines relating to Bill Belichick out there, but <laughs> Daily Mail. I'm waiting for like a credible news outlet or a reporter that I really trust to report definitively that Bill Belichick's out before I say Bill Belichick's out because it kind of feels like that you know there's a lot of smoke right now and he may very well be out, but that nothing feels all that decided. Steven, what are you seeing on the horizon? Yeah, I I don't know what to believe because I think I feel like Belichick deserves the biggest leash maybe out of any coach in all of sports with what he's done and I and now, you know, they lose when they lose Tom Brady, his record has been under 500, so I think that's where people are pointing at and saying maybe he doesn't deserve to be the head coach of the Patriots anymore. I'm with you. I'm waiting for a, you know, a real credible sources to come out and say it besides just these little reports, but I mean, I I find it hard to think that the Patriots are going to fire him with all that no. he's done in his career. So it would have to be some type of, you know, Belichick walking away from the game, which I don't know that he wants to do that yet. I mean, I have no idea, but he seems like he's just going to be an NFL lifer, just coach as long as he can. So I don't know if I had to make a bet. I think he's with the Patriots next season as of right now, but it may be a losing bet. I, uh, Anna, what are you seeing out there? Um, Yeah, you're right. It's a lot of like, According to this source, according to this source, according to this source. But the main guy that's reporting this is NBC Sports Boston's Tom Curran, who says that the decision about Belichick's future has already been made by Robert Kraft. Um, he spoke on some program today saying that the, if there was a chance that Belichick could keep his job with the Patriots beyond the current season, he said that when they came out of the loss to the Colts in Germany conversations he had that week made it clear that a decision was already made they were going to play out the string and at the end of the year there would be a parting of ways for a variety of reasons hmm. but that an in-season firing was highly unlikely and that Belichick who is supposedly under contract for one more year after this year remains a piece that the Patriots could deal away well, there was oh, the reports earlier this year that said Belichick signed an extension with the Patriots in this last offseason. Yeah. Well, I know he's not on board with Taylor Swift, and it appears <laughs> that that's the kiss of death. 
in the NFL. You've seen a lot of people say, I'm not buying the hype, and then they disappear. The Swifties got him? Yeah. You think? (laughs) It's a curse. It makes it sound like they're a mob. It's probably why I'm thriving, because I have believed all along that Travis Kelsey and Swifty, it's real love. I said it from the beginning. I maintain it now. I know love when I see it. You're that couple's hype man. (laughs) I just know. I wish people would leave them alone and let them just be in love. Oh, yeah. You know know what I mean? I saw a video. She was walking in during the last game, the game against Buffalo. Yeah, that was some red coat that she had on. And she's coming down the ramp. Mm -hmm. She's got a security person, and the bills are warming up. And they all kind of looked over at her. And I'm like, mind your business. Why do you have to be, like, you know, distracting yourself from the game? And then she walked into the tunnel. She's just trying to go to an NFL game. Oh, come on. If Taylor Swift was walking past you, you would also turn and look. Besides, she was wearing a stunning red fur coat on her way in. I don't know. I know way too much about this. I'd leave her alone. I'd look. Yeah, see? Thanks for your honesty, Stephen. (laughs) I love that in the crowd there was a woman holding a sign that was like, Go Taylor Swift's boyfriend. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I just don't know. The the funniest posts on social media are the people who are saying, you know, look at her. She was nobody before she started dating (laughs) Travis Kelsey. And then how mad the Taylor Swift fans get about that. They get really mad. There was some... Tweet. I showed it to you. It's the cover of Time Magazine, Person of the Year, Taylor Swift. And then somebody was going, you know, look at her. She's not even from the United States. She's Canadian, (laughs) which is not true. And who knew who she was before she started dating Travis Kelsey? And, and, you know, it kind of went on about Demi Lovato. She's Demi Lovato. And, and I just thought it, like, the mentions were outrageous. So maybe Belichick saying, he doesn't want any part of the Taylor Swift questioning oh, is his downfall. That's not part of this. The Swifties have voted. Would it, would it be a mistake, though, for the Patriots to part ways with him? I mean, come on. One bad season out of so many decades of success? It depends. You know, sometimes, and we know this in sports, you tolerate somebody who's um, not the easiest to work with as long as they're winning. And the minute they're not, then you go, okay, this just isn't working out. But one season? Uh, I We don't know. There could be some bad blood with Robert Kraft. For, the other thing is, I don't even know if it's true. I haven't seen like a real credible NFL reporter say that this is definitively happening. I would caution people to, uh, to pump the brakes a little bit and, and let it marinate. Leave it here. There is a lot of hype, a lot of buildup for this 5 at 5. Anna has been uh, talking during the commercial break. You say this is the greatest five at five that you've ever, or you were just laughing at your own work in as you were sort of sorting through them. Uh, the latter, the latter. I would never hype my own five at five. Undersell, over deliver. Oh, completely. Are you kidding? There's there's no upside to overselling my five at five. <laughs> Division. Two in Division Three football playoffs are on. FCS playoffs are on. Montana still alive in the bracket. They've advanced to the semifinals. They'll be playing on Saturday. Tom Wister still will be with us this hour, the Big Sky Conference Commissioner. Are they talking about adding teams? Are they plotting for their future? 
Are they focused on what they're doing? I think that level of football, FCS football, Portland State, Big Sky, Montana State, Sacramento State, Cal Poly, UC Davis, that level of college football is still college football in a lot of ways. We'll talk about that with the commissioner of the Big Sky coming up at 524. Make an appointment. Anna's here. She's got a great five at five. It involves a hockey puck and some blood. Giddy up. The five at five. Number one. Uh, Justin Herbert is going to miss the remainder of the football season. The team announced today that he will undergo surgery to repair a right index finger fracture. Easton Stick quite a name, will take over as the starter and quarterback in his absence for the Chargers. That's another... How many quarterbacks have we lost this season? Yeah, injury? there's a lot. My goodness. There's a lot of... I mean, Aaron Rodgers started it. Yeah. There's a lot of... Easton Stick, though, that's a great name. If you he know? was a foot, a baseball player. Yeah. that's. It reminds me, this, the Steelers used to have a offensive line, an offensive tackle named Guy Wimper. <laughs> no. Yeah, Guy Wimper. <laughs> you know, you got a favorite name, favorite all-time name in the uh, in the NFL, Stephen, that comes to mind for you? Like Guy Wimper's a good one. Well, I mean, I like T- like Dick Butkus was always good. Tiki Barber, Dick Butkus, I like. Um, you know, I, Flipper I think, Anderson. Uh, Flipper Anderson. I liked Mark Bolger. <laughs> <laughs> it's obscene. Where's your mind? Max Strong. Max Strong's a good one. I remember during a sports report, Craig Burnback uh, at K2 yeah. had like Mark Bolger, Coco Crisp, and, and Albert Pujols. And Albert Pujols all in one yeah. sports segment. And I was dying off air. Yeah. Just bit, like, like. Dying, Did laughing. you think it was a? Uh, it was. A, I thought could it was not be spoofing. real. I, I thought this is April Fool's Day. What? Like when T.J. Slaughter tackles Coy Detmer. That's a good meeting of names. T.J. Hushmanzada. Yes. Hushmanzada. Lawyer Malloy. That's a good name. Tide Law. Oh, I like that. <sighs> we could go on for a while we could, here. Yeah. We could do a little bit. Uh, all. Name team. Quentin Jammer? Mm. How about Quentin Jammer? That's a great name. I like when someone's profession matches their name. Yeah. Like, Guy Wimper does not match mm-hmm. number 78 for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But it's also just as good when it's the opposite, yeah. Lincoln Kennedy? Oh. That's a really know. good name. Yeah. Is it, though? Yeah, it is. Because then everybody goes, well, we know how you got your name. Uh, it's very presidential. It is very very presidential. Good stuff. Moving on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Number two. Hmm. Um, okay. Al Michaels unexpectedly removed from NFL playoff coverage, per report. Uh, what is NBC doing? So this is not something that uh, I guess Michaels was anticipating, according to the New York Post. Um, Blindsided, the report said. He's been, you know, calling Thursday night football with Kurt Herbstreet, but um, I guess NBC thought they would just kind of quietly replace him in the playoff coverage um, with Mike Tirico and Chris Collinsworth. 
there's a um, his reaction. New York Post reporter Andrew Marchand told him that he was in limbo, and he said it's in my deal, and it apparently isn't in his deal. But there's some tension here between Michaels and you know the executives at NBC who probably are none too happy that he's working at Amazon as well. And he's probably not testing well with the kids. Like, we have talked about this. It's become a recurring theme that he doesn't seem enthusiastic about being there. And so I don't know if, um, you know, he, you know, I don't know if just Mike Tirico or somebody else tests better. Or Well, they're also bringing on, the other team they're bringing on is Noah Engel and Todd Blackledge, who are college football broadcasters. Mm. That's who they're bringing on. So they're uh, maybe bringing a new audience to the game? Is this ageism? I don't know. Do you want to go there, really? I mean, it, he hasn't been good. Let's be let's be honest. He, I grew up on Al Michaels. I love Al Michaels. Do you believe in miracles? He's the guy. Okay. You don't think he's been good? He lacks energy. Okay. He doesn't look like he wants to be there. <laughs> and he doesn't talk. The energy's just not there. Uh-huh. And I, I've wondered if... Maybe it's the Thursday nights. Maybe there's just it's become a grind for him. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, maybe he needs a kick in the pants. Maybe that's what they're giving him. Maybe NBC's going, hey, we need a little pep in your step, Al. Bring him back for the second round if you uh, show a little fire. What? No. Am I being mean? No. Is it ageism no, to say just, he's lost some energy? He's, I mean, you know, subject to your opinion. I think it's part of the reason why guys like Pete Carroll, he's older, okay? Pete Carroll, older NFL coach. Yeah. I think he intentionally goes out of his way to to be energetic and to show people he's chewing the gum, he's yelling, he's upbeat. And and, and so what does everybody say about Pete Carroll? They're all, man, he's a place 20 years younger than he is, Uh you know, and and I don't think it's an act with Pete Carroll, but Al Michaels on some of those games does not look like he wants to be there. Or sound like he wants to be there. And look, when they go to him, he just kind of looks like he's ready to get on the plane and go home. And some of it is he didn't have great games. Early okay. in the year, there were some really bad games. But you still have to kind of find some pep, you know? <laughs> Do you believe in miracles? You know, maybe he needs a little pep talk. Let's get a Ruzioni out on the ice again. I feel like I need to you step know? up my game. Number three. He's going to replace me. Uh, Patrick Mahomes <laughs> says he regrets his reaction to the offside penalty in the Chiefs' loss versus the Bills. Did you guys all see this? He kind of threw a temper tantrum after the game. And now he's uh, walking it back a little, saying it probably wasn't a good look, especially for the kids. Yeah, I mean, obviously you don't want to react that way. I just, I mean, I care, man. I love it. I love, I love this game. I love my teammates, and I want to go out there and put everything on the line to win. Um, but uh, obviously, can't can't do that. I mean, can't be that way towards officials or really anybody in, in life. Um, so I probably regret acting like that. Um, but more than anything, I mean, I, re- I regret the way I, I acted towards uh, Josh after the game because he had nothing, nothing to do with it. And, um, so I, I was uh, I, I was still hot and emotional, um, but you can't do that, man. It's not a great example uh, and, uh, for for kids watching the game. So uh, that, that that was more upset about that than I was about me on the sideline. I think it's the right response from Mahomes. 
he took the temperature, he licked a finger, stuck it in the air. He knows which way the wind's blowing now. You know, it, and it's his first time that he's really become that guy in the eyes. Like, he's such a sweetheart to everybody and loved in the Netflix quarterback special built around him and, you know, all of that. And now he's getting a little taste of what it's like to not just be universally loved. And it's a bit of an eye-opener for him. I'm glad someone, maybe the public, but someone in his inner circle is giving it to him straight. We all need somebody like that. Well, the criticism was deafening. That, but if you have your sycophants in your circle telling you how great you are all the time, you sometimes would, I think, ignore the chorus of the deafening, you know, public outcry and just go, no, 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 they're all wrong. I, I We've seen examples like that. I think it's good that he seems to be in tune with reality. Well, it's a good thing Stephen and I are here for you. Number four. Ignoring that. Oh, uh, Stephen. I mean, I did uh, tell you that your voice didn't sound great yesterday. <laughs> Yes. Thanks, buddy. It is the bald face. <laughs> Much better back. today, though. Much, I am you, back. You, you are back, baby. <laughs> you sound terrible. I had Larry on Twitter <laughs> tweet at me. He's like, you sound awful. Sound like you don't sound good. And I'm like, well, that's not what I want to hear. You still, had, like when, you still had the pep, though. You weren't Al Michaels. You still had yeah. the pep in your step. Here's my thing. How about when I feel good and you run into somebody and they're like, oh, you look tired. Oh, that's my favorite. Just shut up. You don't need to say that to anybody. Like, you should never tell someone they look tired. You know, you look great. Thank you. It's not pregnant. You can't do those. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. You do that once. The are you pregnant? And then they're not pregnant once. I had a bad one one time at a stadium. Ooh, yeah. I saw this this gentleman who had white hair. He was holding a newborn baby. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know what made me say this, but I said to him, hey, you know, is that your granddaughter's first game? And as the words were coming out of my mouth, I was like, <laughs> no. And he looked at me and he said, it's my daughter. <laughs> Once. Sorry. Once. Nice white hair, though. Go ahead. Number four. Ohio State assistant coach. You know, the assistant coaches are all recruiting right now. Carjacked during a Cleveland recruiting trip. So Cleveland not rocking in this case. Buckeyes tight end coach Keenan Bailey was carjacked yesterday afternoon visiting a recruit in Cleveland. Police did arrest four young men between the ages of 15 and 18 in connection with the incident after a police chase that included a chopper. The perpetrators robbed the assistant coach at gunpoint and stole his Dodge Durango. This happened in the parking lot of a high school during school hours. Can you imagine? This poor coach is there on a recruiting trip and gets carjacked. Keenan Bailey is the coach. And, uh, I said that. He... Um, I'm sorry. I'm just repeating. I'm just going back. Maybe somebody didn't hear it. But um, it's really interesting. Did he get the recruit? You know, I got to know. I don't know. Does he close the deal? I'll be more impressed if he gets the guy. Well, I'm impressed because he just continued on the recruiting trip. Like his next post was from Canada. He's like, "Uh, okay, back to recruiting. Show business. Uh, I'm I'm looking him up because I want to know more about this guy. You know, 
Did he close the deal? If he closes the deal, I'm more impressed with it. Number five. Okay, uh, speaking of tough guys, uh, National Hockey League announcer gets hit in the face with a puck during the broadcast and just keeps on working. Wow. Rob Ray is his name. He was one of the toughest players in the NHL, according to Sports Illustrated. 15 years in the league, racked up an astonishing 3,200 penalty minutes, the sixth most of all time. Hey, they're blowing the horn. Are you done yet? <laughs> I thought you had a sound bite. I did. That was... Okay. That was the NHL goal horn. Yeah. I thought well, I, I knew what it was. It fit. Did it add of. a little bit of flavor? Yeah. What it, did you want? The horn went a little too long, I'd say. All right. I, I should have done this. Two on two. Malkin steps ahead with it now. Drops it on for shot number three. Save. Rebound. Score! Malkin just after the penalty has expired and the game is even. There you go. That wasn't the game at which Rob Roy was working as an ice-level reporter for the Sabres broadcast. But in the third period of last night's game against the Coyotes, he was struck by an errant puck right between the eyebrows. The incident left him bleeding from the Ouch. forehead as he attempted to stop the bleeding with a towel. After the broadcast returned from commercial, he was still between the benches, ready to broadcast the final minutes of the game. <laughs> As he continued to bleed from the head, he said, and I quote, I'm all good down here, just trying to clean up my glasses a little bit so I can put them on and see through them again. I can't use my page anymore that I have my notes on because it's kind of littered in blood. Former player who took it. Right between the eyes. May uh, Does he need stitches? Did he get stitches? Did you have that part? I don't know if he had stitches yeah. or not. But here's the thing. Here's a guy who played in the league, who understands it. I'm watching the video of it right now. Guy's just wiping his face. And he's like, I'm good. <laughs> when you're the on-ice reporter in the NHL, this is part of the job hazard Yeah. for the on-ice reporter. Good stuff. That was a really good five at five. A really strong for everyone. Yeah, really strong. My favorite story was uh, the carjacking of the uh, of the uh, assistant, the tight end coach at Ohio State, who uh, I hope he closed the deal. You know, you, you always say people say like, you know, you have a great job, you're a coach. What do you do? He he took his life in his hands. So is that what assistant coaches are all out doing right now? Like they're flying all over the place. Yeah. Like rec shaking hands in people's visits. living rooms and convincing players and their families that this is where they need to go. Yeah, and talking about NIL deals and, you know, they got their one eye on the portal, one eye on whatnot. And, um, you know, we talk about the season and you talk about, I always find it funny because we always talk about the season and coaching during the season. And I think a lot of times we forget, like, the games are won right now. Who's getting the players? Mm -hmm. Who's getting the best players? Because there are some players that are just so good, and there's some teams that are so loaded with talent that you line them up schematically. Of course it matters. I do appreciate good coaching. I know good coaching. I appreciate good coaching. 
But, man, it's such an advantage to have a guy who's a step faster than the other team has mm-hmm. and uh, and bigger. And, you know, that you, you talk about championships being won. We, we always do. How was the championship team built? And then they talk about, oh, the 49ers had X number of players through the draft, and here's the trade for Christian McCaffrey, and here's how the roster was assembled. We don't really do that for college football, and we probably should. How the teams were built, using the portal, using incoming freshmen who were developed. Um, it's all a uh, little bit art, a little bit science. Tom Wistersill, Big Sky Conference Commissioners next. Well, I watched, maybe like a lot of you did, playoff games that were going on last weekend. And for those of you uh, who aren't tuned in to all levels of football, um, you know, I was uh, I was particularly turned in tuned into the FCS playoff bracket. Montana and Idaho were still alive last weekend in the twenty four team bracket, and I watched a little bit of the Montana game, then tuned in to the Idaho game on uh, Saturday. And uh, Idaho should have beat Albany, U Albany, and did not. But uh, Montana beat Furman in overtime. They're in the semifinals. Tom Wistershill is the Big Sky Conference commissioner. He was at both games, pulled the doubleheader, drove between Missoula and Moscow, Idaho, to see them both. How are you, Commish? I'm doing great, John. Thanks for having me on. Give me an idea. Like, you know, this is... uh, this is time for the big sky to shine, and you know you had those teams in the playoffs and both uh, entering the quarterfinal round. What'd that feel like for the big sky? Well, it was an exciting weekend. You know, anytime you're in the playoffs, you know that's that's time to get fired up. And football is really important to our institutions. They invest a lot of time and effort, energy, money, people uh, to football. You know, it's kind of in our DNA in the big sky. So uh, you know, anytime we get a chance to do well in the playoffs. We're fired up for our teams, and uh, you know now with Montana in the semifinals, uh, really excited to see about the future. But uh, it was fun. It was great to be at both games. Both were great environments. Uh, you know, packed houses, really loud crowd. Definitely paid a fa- played a factor in both games. Unfortunately, we didn't pull them both out, but still got one team alive. And uh, like I said, really excited for Saturday. Give us an idea because you know I wrote about this last weekend. FCS football, you know, to me it's it it gives you a chance to see football played by kids who are real college student athletes. Um, the spirit of college football alive and well in the FCS division. And it's kind of refreshing given some of the stuff we see going on outside of, uh, you know, your, your division. And, but I also know that it's important for you guys to win games. Like, you know, are, are you getting it? Does the conference, share in a windfall do you get a, an extra bonus if you guys win the thing or is this simply about bragging rights for the big sky so monetarily for our institutions you know home football games and home playoff games are a big deal uh they're able to keep that some of that revenue some of it goes to the nca but they're able to keep a portion of that revenue uh the institutions are so they so financially they can come out fine you know obviously to build to build support and camaraderie and love for the university and in national TV exposure, all of that is hard to quantify monetarily, but, uh, but nonetheless to have, you know, like Friday night's game, that's the only football game on in the world. Friday night was that Montana Furman game. Um, so, you know, that's anybody that's flipping around the channels. Oh, there's football. What's going on? So, 
So that part of the money uh, certainly uh, plays a factor in it because, we're, again, yes, we're we're not like the big boys, right? We're not going to – it's not the almighty chase for the dollar. But nonetheless, we still have to be fiscally responsible. Um, we still, you know, provide full scholarships to student-athletes. We still, you know, um, pay our coaches well and expect them to win. And so there is, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. But, but striking the balance between the two, that's what we pride ourselves most in, which is – providing a great opportunity to student-athletes to play the game they love, also get an education, and, and to better themselves for the future. So striking that balance is really important. We talk about it a lot within the big sky, and hopefully we can achieve that uh, in a way uh, that we feel really proud of. I think anybody who watches it sort of sees the balance. And, I mean, as I even watched both of those games in the Idaho game on Saturday, I was left kind of looking even at you, Albany and going, hey, like these are real – college football players this is real stories this isn't you know millions of seven figures in nil money who's driving a quarterback or a player to go play and i think there's something refreshing about that right now yeah absolutely i think there is and you know we'll we'll always send our fair share of players into the nfl you know it's not a it's not a mistake that cooper cup you know who won the nfl mvp a couple years ago came out of the big sky right so you know, we send NFL players in and really good NFL players, but it's not the focus for every single football player. And uh, and that's the balance that you you know that you can see when you flip on the TV Saturday afternoon when you watch North Dakota State play at Montana. You know, you're going to see a packed house and that. But nonetheless, the the goal of it is not about money, and uh, and that's what keeps it special for what we're able to do at the FCS level. Tom Wister still with us, Big Sky Conference Commissioner. Your conference, you know, like like others, has to be thinking about what's happening in the landscape and the ecosystem. When you look across college athletics and you see the Big Sky's place in it, what do you see happening out on the horizon? What do you tell your friends when they say, hey, are you well-positioned as a conference? You know, what kinds of things do you have to be thinking about as a commissioner? Yeah, you know, there's a lot happening, John. You're absolutely right. You know, some of it we control, much of it we don't. And, uh you know, uh, the things that have happened certainly out west here, and you've chronicled it very well uh, out here with the Pac-12 and, and following those two schools in Oregon. And I know Rob Mullins and Scott Barnes well, and they're, they're friends and good guys and really hard workers and good athletic directors. And what they're having to try to deal with in, is, uh, is challenging and uh, trying to find their place for the future uh, that, that necessarily is not a place that anybody wanted to be. You know, none of us wanted to be in the business of uh, trying to bring money in um, to, to talk to talk to supporters of the university for money that is going to go directly to the student athletes. You know, having collectives and NIL and all that. None of us got into the business for that. And so this is a whole new thing that's that's transformed the entire business. And we in the big sky, in some ways, have to be reactive to that. You saw President Charlie Baker come out with a plan. He's like, hey, let's. what do you guys think of this? Essentially lay this plan out for for Division One, that maybe this is what that top tier, and in his mind, it's kind of the separator of $100 million budgets or not. Um, that's a far cry from where the big sky is. You know, we're all in kind of that 15 to 25 range, up towards $30 million. So, So there's this division in the future that's going to happen, and what it looks like and how it plays out and who's on what side of the street, boy, I, I don't know. And uh, But nonetheless, we feel good about where we're at in the big sky we're in geographically we're in a good place our schools are much alike and there's about 150 schools out there that look a lot like us so we're going to find a home we're going to find a place for our level of football and the expenditures that we have um 
if I was, you know, in that uh, at the bottom of the Power Five or in the middle of the G5, I'd be a little more worried about what the future looks like because, you know, if something like what Charlie Baker's talking about happens, that's going to cause a real division within within FBS. And uh, there will be people left out on the side. There will be people that think they can get to the club that financially can't afford it. And so, you know, in the big sky, we're going to worry kind of about what we can control and, uh, and then, you know, talk and discuss and be part of the decision-making that we can, but also realize that we're going to be a little bit reactive to what happens above us, which is not uncommon uh, for, for the big sky. So, so we feel good about it, but we're also really talking to a lot of people, keeping our ears to the ground and uh, planning for the future. Tom, the, you know, everybody's always talking about expansion. Let's start there. Has the Big Sky talked about expansion? Are there candidates that geographically make sense? Is that something you always kind of have to do, just like, you know, bosses who are always keeping a file of prospective hires, you know, in case they lose someone? I mean, how do you view expansion for the Big Sky? We talk about it at every president's meeting, of which we have three a year in person. We have a really good group of presidents. Ann Cudd, the new president at Portland State, is fantastic. She's a great addition to our room. And uh, so we talk about it every single meeting uh, about what, you know, what's happening around us. You know, we talked about what happened with the Pac-12. What's that impact on the Mountain West? Does that impact us or any of our schools? We looked at other schools out there in the WAC and Southland and Missouri Valley and all those, and we talk about what could happen there. And, you know, there's nothing actively happening right now with the big sky. Um, we feel really good about our 10 full-time members and our two affiliates in football, Cal Poly and UC Davis. Um, so nothing active is going on, but that just means that uh, we're not, like, pursuing anyone. Or uh, There are people knocking on our doors here and there, but we feel really good where we're at. And uh, if we have to adjust as we go along, we've kind of planned some of those things out depending upon what could happen in the future, and then we'll, uh, we'll be ready if it ever does. And, you know, some members – have have positioned themselves because of home attendance. Montana comes to mind just because they're playing on. They've been competitive. They draw. Um, you know, if there's going to be a move up to the Mountain West, Montana, Montana State come to mind, do you have a sense of what their plan might be? Have they talked to you at all about that? They have not. It's something, like I said, our, our presidents talk about it in the media, and they'll ask each other questions. Um, you know, I see my role in this is to make sure that all our presidents have all the information they could to make the best decision possible, you know? And so I, you know, I was a G five AD for six years. So I know what it's like to be, you know, near the bottom of the G five bottom of the FBS and the challenges there. I know the pros and the cons. So I've shared that with all our presidents. We've talked about it. They're fully aware and have their eyes wide open to whatever opportunity could come their way. I don't get the sense that anybody's anxious to jump right now, Financially, there's major commitments at that level that uh, that are that are not easy. Besides the fact that just in the last year, the NCA has put in place a, a five million dollar payment to move up. So, so that's that's changed some things as well. It's not quite as easy as it once was, or not quite as inexpensive. So, you know, I don't foresee that today happening. But I also think that if those top 60, 70 schools move out of FBS then that's going to create a potential division between what's left of the FBS and the FCS. You could see a separator there in some schools 
within the top of FCS look to move up into that, whatever we're calling these new things. That would be like stage two or something like that. Um, so those are some of the things we talk about and uh, plan for. And then, you know, in some ways, like I said, we've got to be a little reactive to what's happening at the very top. And there's, there's a lot left to happen at the very top in the next five to seven years probably. I think the transfer portal has helped FCS football and has helped the Big Sky Conference in that there's fewer high school scholarships going. You know, for example, Pac-12 schools, they just have fewer scholarships to offer high school kids. And I see those kids turning to the Big Sky in a way that they haven't. And do, how does that affect or impact the level of play? Um, you know, you obviously don't want to squeeze kids out that normally would be your big sky kids, but what is, what do you see happening, Tom? Yeah. You know, the, the movement, I think it helps us and hurts us. I think that we're able to, um, you know, the power, as you said, the power five can only sign so many kids, you know, like only one quarterback is going to take them unless there's an injury, you're going to take the majority of the snaps. So that second and third string quarterback at the power five level, they're looking for a place to play. And the big sky is a great opportunity for them to come and throw the ball all over the yard and get on the, the radar screen of whatever they're looking for next. But, you know, so, so I think we've, we've seen the impact of some better players transferring into the big sky. What's frustrating this time of year, and this is what happens, right? Our best teams I've either just lost or still playing in the FCS playoffs. And you'll see some of those top tier guys going into the portal. They've had great track records of success at the FCS level and now they want to go chase their dreams at the FBS level. And so you'll see a number of our first-team all-conference guys here in the last week or two going into the portal. And I know that's frustrating for our programs because we invest so much time and effort and energy into these young men when they come on the field or come into the school in the summer after their high school graduation, and they stay for, you know, one, two, three years and then leave. And so it's frustrating, but our, our, our coaches that have embraced it that have said, hey, we, we're going to do the best we can with this, but we're also going to really try to bring in some transfers that can help impact the program and position ourselves for a national title because that's our every program in our conference, that's their goal is the national title. Um, then I think, I think it works. And I, I'm glad that the student-athletes have the opportunity to make their choices. I don't necessarily agree with all their choices sometimes, but for them to have the opportunity to chase their dreams, that's great. It's great for college athletics. And, uh, you know, that's why you see someone like a Bo Nix at, at Oregon, and you'll see a new quarterback there transferring in, and it's just going to happen. And, and fans have to get used to the fact that that guy that comes in as a freshman is probably not going to be there as a senior. The chances are them being there are slimmer than ever before, and that's okay. It's just a new, it's just a new way of doing things. You uh, now have been on the job. I think it's it's five years. Just celebrated an anniversary, and you know, right. when you yeah you came in, uh, negotiated a deal with ESPN, got some exposure for the conference. Um, you know, as you think about the next TV deal for the Big Sky, what's important to you guys? We want to continue to grow our linear uh, opportunities. You know, right now we've got two ESPN opportunities on Saturday night. You know, I think one of the positives for us, selfishly thinking about the downfall of the Pac-12, is, you know, they kind of branded that Pac-12 after dark thing pretty well, right? I mean, those were good games that were on. And, we, you know, we want to look at how we can, we can become that choice for people. You know, out on the West Coast and in the mountain areas, we can be that late-night game Saturday night, maybe Friday night as well. 
So we want to look to continue to do that. We got great football, and it's really fun to watch, and a lot of people in the stands, and really talented players. So, so we've got something to showcase. So we're going to continue to talk to our partners about growing that. We'll start our negotiations here in the next uh, between now and next summer, and uh, and we'll have something done then. So we've you know expanded our reach. Um, our ratings are really really good. The Saturday nights we've had our ratings have been higher. Uh, on ESPN2 than the day games they show during, during, uh, during uh, for the FBS Conference USA Sun Belt uh, and those programs. We've, we've our ratings have been higher on Saturday nights. So we've got a great thing, to, a great story to tell. We've got uh, great opportunities, and then we're just going to go out and look at a bunch of different partners. And ESPN's been a fabulous partner for us. Uh, and but we've also got some other people that are very interested in us too. So it's about exposure. And uh, and that's about recruiting for every one of our coaches and our and our programs. It's all about recruiting and how can we not just football. It's every sport. How can we put our programs on a national stage to showcase what we have? Tom Wisterstill, Big Sky Conference Commissioner, uh, Montana this weekend. What does that do for the Big Sky? You get a win there. Uh, how important? How big is this to the conference? It's really it's a really big deal. It's the it's probably it's the the biggest day for us uh, of the year is getting a chance to be in the semifinals. We got a great team in Montana. Bobby Houck's done a great job there. North Dakota State's won nine of the last eleven national titles, um, so we know what they bring to the table. And uh, their coach just announced he's leaving at the end of the year to go coach linebackers at USC. So they've got something to play for with a coach heading out the door. And uh, at two thirty on ESPN two Saturday, it'll be a packed house in Missoula which I tell you is the loudest, one of the loudest stadiums easily equals any stadium I've ever been into. And I've been in Michigan, Tennessee, Ohio State, Penn State. On the field, it's as loud there as any of those. And uh, so that's 26,000 people will be bringing the rain down on, uh, on the uh, bison from North Dakota State. And best team will win and head to Frisco for the national championship game. Give me an idea, because I saw that too, North Dakota State's Got a little bit of, uh, you know, is it a distraction that their coach is leaving? Do they rally around him? Like, you probably hope it's a distraction, given that Montana's the opponent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I know their coach, Matt Entz, small small world. He was a uh, graduate assistant for my dad when my dad was coaching in Minnesota uh, 20-some years ago. So Matt's a really good guy, really good coach, done a hell of a job there. They're a veteran team. They got a number of five- and six-year guys on their roster I think that they – I don't think it'll affect them much. I think they'll be ready to go. I know Montana will be ready to go, and it'll be a heavyweight, heavyweight fight. You know, two of the proudest programs in FCS in the loudest stadium in FCS. And so it'll be a great Saturday, and uh, if, you, if you love football, I promise if you turn it on, you'll be entertained. Tom Wisterstill, appreciate you. Wish you luck this weekend. Thanks for joining us. Great to be with you, John. Best to you. There he goes. Big Sky Conference Commissioner rooting for Montana this weekend. I think you always have to kind of wonder. First of all, here's what I love about the Big Sky. I love that the Big Sky Conference knows who it is. You know, sometimes I think in college athletics, one of the most challenging things is when you have a conference or a school within a conference that doesn't quite accurately have a view of who they are in the ecosystem. 
And when I talk to Wistersill or I talk to the Big Sky Conference coaches or I was at Big Sky Conference Media Day, I spent two days there in the summer talking with players, talking with coaches. I left going, they know who they are. Like, that's such an advantage to know who you are and know where you fit. It's hard for me to not look at them and go, hey, Montana, Montana State, like they're really drawing. They stand out when as it, as it pertains to performance and to uh, fan support. And it's hard for me not to go, hey, don't, do, do they have ambition? Do they want to go to the Mountain West someday? Because they're not that far removed from making a leap like that from a facility standpoint and a competitive um, support standpoint. But it is a huge lift to get from the FCS level to FBS. It would be a huge financial commitment, and especially at a time when college athletics is going, you know, we're thinking about separating major football, and, you know, the halves are going to take off and go form their own 50 or 60-team division, and Oregon State and Washington State probably plotting to be part of that. So, I, I you know, part of me is watching these playoffs – and I got to be honest with you, when you see the players on the field and you watch the coaches on the sideline and you see this stuff and it's on ESPN and it's on, you know, it's on linear television, we're watching the playoffs, you're going to get to see Montana play North Dakota State on Saturday at 2.30 if you want to see it. And you're going to realize, oh, this is what college football used to be. It's just so much more innocent and pure and in some way inspiring. And I got to be honest, like I wrote about the, the FCS playoffs last weekend, and I was like, you know, it was a nice break to not be writing about the greed and the portal and everything about college athletics that has turned people off. It's just, uh, it's a breath of fresh air, really. Leave it here. Well, the Pac 12's busy doing some uh, self evaluation. I wrote about it today at johnconzano.com. If you read me, if you subscribe already, you know you got it in real time today when I filed the piece. It arrived to your email inbox. Maybe you saw it on social media, maybe you didn't. But uh, if you want to know what I'm writing, go to johnconzano.com, get a free subscription, get a paid subscription. What works for you works for me. Today, I wrote about the Pac-12 doing some self-examination. And by Pac-12, I really mean the Pac-2. It's Oregon State and Washington State that are driving this. Oliver Luck, the consultant that they hired, is still on the scene, still working for Oregon State and Washington State, I am told. He has been charged with examining the Pac-12 networks. The Pac-12 has this 42,000-square-foot facility in San Ramon, California, at a place called Bishop Ranch. If you drive Interstate 680 in a nice suburban area right along the San Ramon city limits, you'll find Bishop Ranch. It's an industrial business park, but it's pretty nice. Think Larry Scott-style business park. Really nice place. Pac-12's got a 42,000-square-foot facility. It's state-of-the-art. They moved in in January of this year and invested a lot of money in it. And, of course, when the Pac-12 in August splintered into a million pieces, really 10 pieces or 11 pieces because 10 schools left and two didn't, 
So it's 11 pieces. When it splintered into 11 pieces, that facility went, oh, crap, we signed a five-year lease. So Oregon State and Washington State have charged Oliver Luck, their consultant, with exploring the Pac-12 network, the viability for the of the network moving forward. Now, think about it not just as a media company, because it is kind of one. At least Larry Scott tried to make it one. But think about it also as a production company. And the Pac-12 network has done some production work for ESPN. It's done some production work for Amazon. It's done some work for Apple. It contracts itself out and becomes a revenue generator in that way. Now, Oregon State and Washington State are going to have 13 football games that they'll need to produce next year. And so, yeah, the Pac-12 network could play a role in producing those games, not distributing them, but producing them, sending a satellite truck, doing the production on the game, frankly, the infrastructure for the stadiums in all the Pac-12 cities are still connected to the Pac-12 network. So they can just plug and play. You don't even have to send a satellite truck in most cases. You just have the ability to produce the games that are being played on campus in those venues, and you can uh, you know, send that. It's all connected, high-speed fiber optics to the Pac-12 network in at Bishop Ranch in San Ramon, California. And so... The Oliver Luck mission, at least in this season, is to kind of take a look at the Pac-12 network and say, hey, what can this thing be when the 10 schools leave? Can Oregon State and Washington State turn this into a revenue-generating company, or should they just fold it up? Is there a business model there or not? And so Oliver Luck, I am told, is looking at that. Now, I tried to reach out to him. He did not return messages. He's busy probably doesn't want this business out there but that's what he's looking at right now and the dirty little secret is that the 10 departing schools to some degree are all going to need production work and they have all been heavily reliant upon the pac-12 network now i'm not saying this is gonna happen but i'm saying this has been talked about it's been talked about that there's a possibility that the pac-12 network could end up producing some of the content that you see by the 10 departing schools. Now, Oregon State, Washington State probably would have mixed feelings about this, but I'm told this is something that they are exploring. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying that there is production work that needs to be done. Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Stanford, Cal, Oregon, Washington, UCLA, USC, all have been heavily reliant upon the Pac-12 network. They're now going to be reliant upon the Big Ten Network, the ACC Network, Fox, ESPN. But there may be some production contract work that the Pac-12 Network can do that helps make that a better business. So the Pac-12 is looking at that. They're also looking at their own staffing. 192 employees of the Pac-12 and the Pac-12 Network trying to figure out how how in the world they are going to – Keep this thing open and open for business moving forward. Now, tomorrow's show is going to be great. We're going to talk more about the Pac-12, NFL, Shohei. Whatever happens, we'll have it on tomorrow's program. Steven, thank you. I made it through the show. I sounded better today, aside from the cough that I just could not hold Sounds back. great, John. I know. I'm just, uh, 
I'm, my eyes are watering. I'm down to the last 30 seconds of the show, and I've made it. And so uh, I want to thank listeners for helping out by calling in and saving my voice a little bit the last couple days. I'm getting better, and we're back tomorrow with another great show. The Bald-Faced Truth, not here for a long time, just a good time. You've heard me talk about the Shoe Mill Shoe Stores for years, but I wonder, have you seen it for yourself? If you haven't already, stop into the nearest Shoe Mill Shoe Store and you'll understand why Anna and I and our family swear by them. Whether it's shoes for Anna or myself or a gift for my mother or a sister, it's Shoe Mill where I begin that journey. Shoe Mill has great customer service and they have fantastic shoes. See it for yourself. Stop into any of the Shoe Mill Shoe Stores or go online to ShoeMill.com. Shoe Mill, they put the world at your feet.